Hi, I'm Kyle. And I'm Trevor. And welcome to Catching Up on Cinema. Uh, If you're not familiar with the program, Catching Up on Cinema is a film analysis podcast wherein myself and Kyle take turns introducing each other to movies. And uh, in this way, we catch up on our cinema. Uh, So it is the month of March, and uh, if you've been listening and following along, you'll be well aware that this March has been our Moving On March event month. And essentially what that means is uh, every episode this week has been serving to spotlight a uh, actor or director or maybe even both um, that has passed away. Um, So we've been taking advantage of that and, you know, taking a look at some work of some people that have, you know, passed away. And we're trying to, you know, broaden our horizons and get a better sense of their filmography. Uh, So we covered like Philip Seymour Hoffman and Kirk Douglas and Robin Williams and uh, this week, uh, I got the pick, and I'll tell you what that was in just a minute here. But before we jump into things, um, Kyle, since we last spoke, you know, what cinema have you caught up on? <laughs> so, as you know, like most of America is uh, quarantined right now. Everybody's stuck inside, uh, not going to work, not complaining, just saying that's what's happening. Um, but uh, we've statement been, of fact. <laughs> been watching a lot more stuff. Uh, I've been doing a lot more yard work. Been watching more stuff. Uh, been working through Mad Men a lot. Uh, my uh, my girlfriend hasn't seen it, so I'm watching that with her. Um, we watched the Netflix docu series uh, Tiger King, which is bananas. Uh, <laughs> if you haven't seen it, it is it is something else. But I think the one that I'd like to just like briefly talk about real quick was a huge letdown for me. Not that I heard much about it, uh, but we are still. here here uh from 2015 uh i i wanted an atmospheric horror movie i was just in the mood you know i was just kind of bored i'm like i want to switch it up a little bit i'm gonna i'm gonna watch something that i haven't seen a dozen times because i also watched the extended version of uh the fellowship of the ring which i think i watched that trilogy three times a year easily so i'm getting it going but i wanted to watch something new and you know it was just a big fucking letdown it started off pretty strong uh, one interesting thing about it is that it takes place in like the 70s, but we don't really, you, it, you don't really get that up front. Like it, it takes a little bit for you to understand like, oh, this is actually taking place in the 70s, which is kind of cool. I, I like that about it. It didn't just tell you, you kind of have to piece it together. But the story made little to no sense as far as why the house was haunted and what was happening. Uh, we're breaking ghost rules, which... I, I mean, if you as long as the movie's good, I don't mind. But if you're breaking ghost rules and your movie sucks, then you're you're just you're setting yourself up for failure. Uh, yes, there are ghost rules. Uh, yeah, break, breaking ghost rules in service to what? <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, Sixth Sense breaks ghost rules. Bruce Willis should not have been able to leave wherever he died. He can't leave that apartment. He's stuck there. And the rest of the ghosts in that movie are stuck wherever they're supposed to be, except for him. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't make any fucking sense. Ooh, twist. He fucking broke the rules. It's like um, double twist. Tommy Tomasino was a ghost too. <laughs> he was a ghost boy. <laughs> um, Pseudo Jack Torrance is in it, the guy from uh, Like Me. Remember the, the dude oh, that. Yeah, ins- yeah, yeah. yeah, he's in it. Uh, um, was it Fe- Larry Fessenden, I think? Sure. I think that sounds I, about I right. I think so. He, he popped up again on the show just like in passing so yeah he's he, becoming a thing on our on our programming decisions i know he was in the dead don't die which is a jim jarmusch joint uh i think he might i think he works with him a little bit but i mean he i like him and he's the better part of the movie but i, I should have seen the red flag coming when lisa marie uh oh. yeah uh uh 
Tim Burton's ex-wife popped up. Um, her best work is in movies he made. So just <laughs> that's, that's yeah. The... I mean, folks at home, it, if you've seen Sleepy Hollow, you know what we're talking about. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, Sleepy Hollow. Like, what? Why is this here? Why is she here? Oh. Oh. <laughs> um, yeah, it just it had a good start, soggy midsection, and then it just went down the drain, stupid. So avoid that at all costs if you're a horror fan. It's funny. I, when you told me off air about it, I couldn't remember it for the life of me. But as you were speaking, I, I just remembered like the poster for it. it it's like a, it's kind of like bluish, and it has like a, almost mm-hmm. like chalk written title it looks kind of like uh the house of the devil which is yeah what yeah. i was kind of i'm like okay the house of the devil was good i really liked it uh it was a nice atmospheric horror um and it's shot in the 80s and even it feels like an 80s movie um and this one was kind of along those lines it was like it feels like a 70s movie well to to quote myself again off air um i think i think as a horror fan you have to have a particular type of stomach <laughs> like you, you need to have a special kind of gut biome that can handle a, a healthy helping of shit every once in a while. Yeah, because there, there are a lot of movies that get cranked out, and we're all looking for that thing that speaks to us. And unfortunately, like eighty percent of it's garbage. But you know, you you watch it, you you ingest it, you digest it, you move on. And you have a, a horrible fucking bowel movement, and you just move on. <laughs> Fuck, <laughs> toilet stopped up for two weeks. God damn it. But I hit up I hit up the folks on Reddit, the horror thread on Reddit, and uh, I asked them about some good atmospheric horror films. So I've got some some to choose from. So I think I'm gonna try out a few more. Very cool. Well, I'll keep I'll keep mine brief. But uh, for whatever reason, oh, well, I know exactly what reason. Um, I have upstairs neighbors. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. they work weird hours, and uh, one of them has a nasty habit of practicing his electric guitar electric guitar is he any good all hours of the day. <coughs> i don't think he's played a single note oh my gosh in the three years i've lived here um i i can actually i can actually imitate it for you the Go ahead. the uh the practice riffs he goes <laughs> just over and over and over again i think i know exactly what you're talking about and i know what style of music that is um, uh, I'm sure this is going to speak to my brother who had to spend, uh, my eighth grade year to my senior year in a room, sharing a room with me, a guitar player, uh, while he played video games mostly. Yeah. Well, I feel like it's an exercise in distortion rather than music. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like I'm, I'm making sounds that I'm intending to warp just to see what I can warp it to rather mm. than like actually playing a song or, you know pleasurable use of sound i guess i I understand that i get that you have to try out like you have to tinker part of being a a musician especially a guitarist is you have to tinker you have to just kind of like just plink and plunk and see how things sound like oh i I like how that maybe i could transition to that here and it'd be kind of interesting yeah i understand that well anyway pushed me to put on a whole bunch of legal dramas um i I watched uh, the rainmaker a john grisham adaptation um which i've seen before and I've enjoyed before. I think uh, I think Rudy I like Baylor, sir. I, yeah. just, I remember that Rudy Baylor. Yeah, Rudy Baylor. Rudy Baylor. Um, and Claire Danes doing essentially the same. Um, and then Claire I watched uh, the Lincoln Lawyer, which I had not seen. Um, that was on 
that was on in the background. Yeah. These were all on in the background. I was not exactly paying attention to them, but I cranked the volume up just to drown out the... <laughs> and then uh, I figured, hey, let's let's keep the Matthew McConaughey train rolling. So I put on Mud, and I actually oh. watched that one. That was good. <sighs> yeah, I watched Mud too. It was very forgettable. Like it, it was one of those movies that I enjoyed while I was watching it, but after I was done, I'm like, I don't even know what the fuck that was about. Yeah, it was... Uh, it's... It's a particular style of story that I have a soft spot for, and that would be uh, young people, like entering the sphere of influence of adults, like young young people touching the world of adulthood without yeah. fully understanding it. Um, Sleepers, Tre- like personal Trevor note. There's there's a uh, there's a Gundam series um, called a Double O Eighty War in the Pocket um, that has a very similar plot line, at least in terms of like how it's structured, how a young person deals with adult problems very very good um it's actually i was actually wanting to have you watch some gundam at some point and that would be a, that would be a candidate for that but uh yeah the lincoln war was like whatever the fuck yeah uh, mud i enjoyed but yeah i could see how it it is somewhat forgettable in that it has too many similarities to other movies um it's like a it's like a wannabe no country for old men in exactly. some ways yeah uh, it's just not as impactful or as memorable in any way. So it's it's fine. It's there, fine. There, it, it introduced the world to Ty Sheridan, as far as I can tell. Um, he has yet to impress me outside of mud. I feel like the, um, I think the Coen brothers influenced an entire genre of film, which is um, just indie, just indie crap. I guess is the best way to put it. Pretty much anything Miles Teller is in that's not hit theaters, that's like it's all influenced by the Coen Brothers. But they're missing the point is that the Coen Brothers are good at making this mono. I call it just monotone film where it's nothing really happens. Nothing. There's no excitement really. It just happens. And at the end of it, you're like, what was the point of that? You understand. But. I feel like they've just kind of influenced a, a, a group of filmmakers, and they're kind of missing the point. They're they're a genre unto themselves, and mm-hmm. anyone who tries to imitate them is foolish. Mm-hmm. Um, you really should not do that. Dude. You should just work for them. Yeah, like, work you should for just them. go work on the There's set. two of them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, just join them. But yeah, um, Kyle, have you ever heard the story of uh, of uh, what's her face uh, on on uh, Batman Returns? Is it a uh, Sean, Sean from Blade Young. Runner. Sean Young. Yeah, yeah, Sean Young on Batman Returns. Oh well, yeah, where um, she showed how, up to the not she showed up to the either producer's house or the casting director's house, uh, in cost in a Catwoman costume that yeah she made I guess. I'm picturing Miles Teller doing that like at the <laughs> Coens' office, just like pressed up against the glass. <laughs> just the like, dude. get the fuck out of here! They just r- routinely like kick the door open and throw a rag at him. No, they have a spray bottle for Miles <laughs> Teller. Just like, Scott, get out of here! <laughs> You're not wanted here. Go away. <laughs> yeah. Um, um, that being said, though, we should probably get to the movie for the week. Yeah, I'm gonna beat um, you to both of these. I'm gonna beat you to something. Um, so it, the the film. Go ahead, tell them what the film is. Sorry. Okay, so I had the pick for the last week of of moving on March, um, and I was I always struggle with picking movies for whatever the fuck reason, um, and I you know at some point I just threw my hands up and I said fuck it we're doing Bruce Lee, mm. um, and it just so happens Kyle has never seen a Bruce Lee movie. So, so here's the thing when when we decided to do this and you hadn't picked out your uh, your your final choice for the month, I'm like he's gonna pick a Bruce Lee movie. There's no way he's not going to pick a Bruce Lee movie. 
<laughs> he has to pick a Bruce Lee movie. And I didn't even mention Bruce Lee to you. I waited for you to get there on your own. And when I saw Enter the Dragon, I'm like, yeah, I knew this was going to happen. And I was prepared for it as well. I'm like, But I didn't have a problem with it because this is actually somebody I feel like I need to... I'm not a martial arts movie fan, but this is... He's an American... like. He's a part of American culture, um, and I'm gonna be bringing up fucking Dirk Diggler <laughs> throughout this podcast, <laughs> uh, just because so much of Boogie Nights, his character in Boogie Nights is obsessed with kung fu. Oh, Brock, I, what Brock Landers? I forgot about Brock Landers too. Um, Brock Landers more than Dirk Diggler was into uh, was into Bruce Lee, but I knew you were gonna pick this, and uh, this was a fun one, uh, and. It's amazing to see how much of this movie has been parodied uh, in American culture. It's insane. This is Mortal Kombat. I think this is Mortal Kombat, Balls of Fury, and Beverly Hills Ninja quite a bit. <laughs> comes up. <laughs> yeah, no, the, this movie has been parodied and referenced countless times internationally. Like, yeah. all over the world, people know Bruce Lee. They know Enter the Dragon. Um, and, yeah, part of the reason why I picked this one over other films in his filmography is just the cultural significance of it it's something that everybody should see even if you're not into it it's i mean put it this way there is a statue of bruce lee in serbia (laughs) of all fucking places serbia and it's like a bronze statue uh, because the man has that he has global reach people around the world recognize his image and like little snippets of his philosophy there's a there's that mythology, that air of mythology surrounding the man that yeah. uh, seems like it's more fun to believe the legend than it is to like actually accept the reality. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll try not to step on people's dreams while we're doing <laughs> this recording. But, I mean, the truth of the matter is he was a man and he had limitations. <laughs> like, you know, everybody had playground chats. Like, even, even when I was a kid, like... And that was, you know, in the 90s and whatnot. Like, we we were still talking about who would win in a fight, Jackie Chan or Bruce Lee and stuff like that. Well, um, Jackie Chan is an important part of this film. Not not so much uh, his cameo, his uncredited uh, role, but there's a specific sequence that feels so much like a Jackie Chan movie to me. Like, the, the way it's choreographed. And I want to get your opinion on it when we get to it. Absolutely. Um, Make but, sure to point out. Um, but I I want to note the composer um, because this was very confusing and I know you were going to bring it up. Uh, of Le, is it Lalo Lalo Schifrin? I've always said Lalo, but I I don't know. Lalo Schifrin. Uh, I forgot Austrian or I don't know where this composer's from. Uh, He's Argentinian. Czech. Argentinian. There we go. Um, so I was listening to the score, like the opening sequence, and I'm like, man, this sounds like a Bond movie. And like throughout the, the throughout the movie, I'm like, this sounds like Bond. But I was wrong. <laughs> it's Mission Impossible because he did the Mission Impossible TV series. He's done fucking everything, by the way. Like he's if you look at his like composing or just soundtrack, he's been on a ton of stuff. Um, he's got a handful of like pretty impressive credits as well. But I the. I knew as soon as I saw who it was that the score was going to be a significant part of the movie for you, so I tried to pay attention to it when I could. Well, thanks for doing that, because, yes, uh, absolutely. <laughs> um, and also, I think it's worth pointing out that, I mean, he he's, he has done other martial arts films in his yes. filmography, mostly American martial arts movies, but most significantly probably is that they got him to do the score for Rush Hour. Mm-hmm. Um and as soon as that movie opens, you like for me, it's like, yep, that's the same guy that did Enter the Dragon. <laughs> did he do Rumble in the Bronx as well? I think he did Rumble in the Bronx. 
I don't know if that's the case. I mean, that was a that was a later movie, and that was also like a Hong Kong production. Um, but he also he did the the Big Brawl, which was one of Jackie Chan's early American ventures. Um, like only like what five, six, seven years after this one. Um, but it needs to be said, this came out in 1973, um, mm-hmm. and uh, unfortunately, Bruce Lee uh, passed away before it was actually officially released. Um, oh, no kidding. Which is a really tragic thing because the man only had like five films in his entire lifetime. Uh, he had a variety of television appearances, uh, most notably The Green Hornet, of course, and then a show called Marlowe that he had like a couple of episodes with, um, but nothing too significant. And if, like, there's also the, the story of the, the Kung Fu television series that was apparently dreamt up by him and with the intention of him serving as uh, Kane, the protagonist of that, which of course would go to A. Carradine. I always get David and John mixed up. I think A. Carradine. <laughs> um, but anyway, yeah, I, th- I always thought it was very tragic that um, this, he didn't get to really see this movie released. Uh, he did get to see it completed um, in the editing room, though, not not in a theater or anything like that. Um, but it's it's especially significant because um, of his filmography. This was like the one true blue like American production. This is a Warner Brothers film. This oh, was yeah. a big deal. Um, but before that, he was working pretty much exclusively in Hong Kong, um, and this was you know supposed to be his big coming out party. And then unfortunately, he died. Um, How did he yeah, pass the, away again? I think it had to do with some sort of pulmonary something or other. Uh, I couldn't actually tell you off the top of my head but that was that was what i remember okay um for a long time though it was one of those things it was like oh, there's all sorts of secrets and yeah. myth myths about what actually happened it's like no you know maybe he just well, got sick and died <laughs> sir steven seagal was even part of the controversy around uh brandon lee's death uh he was the one be like we don't have real guns on set this is a conspiracy he was murdered on set when in actuality he it was an accident uh he was actually accidentally killed on set um by Michael, I can't think of his name. Uh, he's he's in Seven. He's the guy that runs the the brothel, but he's actually dead now. Mike, Michael Massey, I think something like that. I can't think of it. Anyway, I'm sorry. <laughs> I digress. Um, funny, Steven Seagal had a he had some he had some nasty things to say about martial arts that like contemporaries of his, and I. Uh, he he did a lot of shit talking, and one of the one of the actors in this movie apparently like had it out for him. Like seriously, he was like trying to take him out in the parking lot and beat his ass. I believe he could <laughs> too. Um, I'm, I'll point out who it is in a bit, but uh, yeah, uh, let me give like a a basic plot summary for this movie. And the plot is very basic. Um, yeah. Essentially, what we have here is we have a uh, a man by the name of Mr. Han or Mr. Han, man. <laughs> you jive, um, turkey. Who is a uh, former Shaolin monk, a disgraced Shaolin monk, uh, who is now some sort of like terrorist slash M. Bison-esque figure <laughs> um, with an island base. Um, uh, the British government and many other people want to take him down. Uh, so they take advantage of the fact that Mr. Han stages a martial arts tournament uh, every three years, uh, and they use this as a means to infiltrate his operations. Um, Bruce Lee being the number one agent sent in there to take things down, 
um, both for the sake of the British government and the Shaolin Temple. Uh, and uh, yeah, punches are thrown and merry mishaps ensue. <laughs> um, so that being said, uh, this movie is directed by Robert Klaus, um, who, as far as I know, didn't really have any major credits leading up to this film. Um, however, he he definitely rode the success of this film and like parlayed it into several other martial arts-themed films. Um, most notably, the uh, what was it? He he worked on the Game of Death, which is a an incomplete film. It's it's a very sad, incomplete film in that on paper it sounded amazing, and what footage we do have of it is amazing. That's the Kareem Abdul-Jabbar and uh, Bruce Lee. Uh, sequence if you've ever heard of that or seen oh, it oh i have not they did a fight scene together uh kareem abdul jabbar was the the final boss of that movie and the whole concept was your uh bruce lee is ascending a pagoda and each story of it has some sort of martial arts master in it with a different skill set that he has to overcome and the final challenge was a blind kareem abdul jabbar <laughs> which is the the fight has been filmed um, but most of the dialogue scenes and like plot development in the movie are are unfortunately missing. So there exists a uh, a bootleg version of the movie with like actors wearing literal cardboard cutouts of Bruce Lee's face. Oh my god! <laughs> to stand in for it, it's really sad. That's creepy. It is. It's disrespectful and creepy at the same time. <laughs> but yeah, he also directed the Big Brawl, um, which, like I said, was supposed to be like jackie chan's big coming out party in america it did not work <laughs> um and then he did uh, jim kata which is a a good bad movie um if you've ever seen clips of it or heard of it it's hilarious it's a gymnast doing martial arts um mm. called jim kata and then uh, china o'brien um, i've heard of china i've heard of those the those last two you mentioned yeah cynthia rothrock um we've been talking about doing a ladies night uh month here on the yeah. show like female-led action movies and cynthia rothrock i would definitely find a way to work her into that because she's a very talented martial artist that did not get very much play here in the states as far as i understand but they appreciate her in hong kong and i appreciate that um so yeah our movie opens with uh lalo schifrin's music um immediately classes the join up quite a bit uh, we get a shot of a chinese gate and then we pull back to a garden and we fade to a sparring session of sorts and we have a bunch of monks seated like in a, a square square pattern and they're all dressed in like multicolored garb and whatnot and then we have uh, two competitors standing in the center of the ring which is a which is again like a stone ring i mm -hmm. guess it's it's a square shape and uh the two guys we have standing here of course they're both in speedos for some reason yeah <laughs> um, and uh like mixed martial arts sparring gloves which is kind of interesting i don't know how how much use those got back in 1973 um but yeah it is bruce lee and a very young sammo hung um oh. whom you have seen before kyle in... um he he was the chief antagonist in spl the fat guy yes i was gonna he, say what he, he was always fat <laughs> uh, i was gonna ask you I'm like are there no weight classes in martial arts because um I don't know if anybody knows, like, you've probably seen pictures of Bruce Lee, and like, oh, man, he's cut. I mean, he looks like fucking Linda Hamilton in Terminator 2. Like, he he's about the same size and weight and build as her. Like, he looks like 130 pounds soaking wet. 
probably like 130, 135. It was ridiculous. Um, <laughs> uh, to, to quote uh, Risa Fons in The Replacements, he's wiry. <laughs> wiry. wiry. <laughs> he's very sinewy. Uh, in stark contrast to Sammo Hung, who is very rotund and soft and pudgy. Um, to like to quote my brother, like uh, he has a body for taking bumps. Um, like my brother's always said that about Mick Foley, uh, the wrestler. Mankind. Oh yeah. Uh, because if you look at the way that man is built, um, the 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 right parts of his body are soft for taking mm-hmm. that kind of punishment. Like his body was engineered to fall off of the hell in a cell. <laughs> I uh, I met him. He did a signing in our mall when I was a kid. I've got an autograph by Mankind. No shit. Yeah. That's awesome. I did like Mick professional F- wrestling when I was a kid. No, Mick, Mick Foley's one of the better ones to get a signature from because mm-hmm. he'd actually have things to say to you and he'd yeah. be nice. No, oh, he was really he was really nice. He talked to my brother. Oh, yeah. He didn't talk to me, but that's okay. No, Mick Foley has a stellar reputation. And in every interview I've ever seen him, and he always has a lot to say, and he's a very friendly man. Um, but yeah, uh, we, we have a sparring session here. And again, it's Bruce Lee versus Samuel Hung. Uh, the historical significance of this cannot be down like you you can't downplay this this is this is very important <laughs> like samuel hung is ha, went on to become like a major on-screen talent but even more than that he's one of the most talented like choreographers and directors to come out of hong kong um his his just gift for portraying martial arts on screen is amazing um and here we have the two of them two legends squaring off in the opening scene in this movie um, but it needs to be said, uh, this is a gross mismatch from an aesthetic standpoint. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, Noticeable. you can tell who's going to win just by looking. Um, but yeah, Samuel bumps his ass off for Bruce here. Uh, he gets flipped all over the place. He gets punched in the face multiple times. Um, and why I say he bumps his ass off because the camera is pulled way the fuck back. Um, in traditional like Hong Kong style, which does not carry over to the rest of this movie for sure. Um, most of John Saxon scenes in particular are shot like from the shoulders up. Uh, the there's a reason for that. Yeah, there's a reason for that. But poor Samo has to like take fucking bumps on a stone floor <laughs> and get flipped over and over and over again. Um, and by the way, like. Like I said, they're both wearing speedos, so there's he doesn't have the benefit of being able to wear pads or anything, which most stunt people do. Um, anyway, this whole exchange ends with an arm submission from Bruce. Uh, Samuel taps out, um, and then we have this really goofy moment where all the monks in black they celebrate, and then they hold their arms up, and there's just this expectation that Bruce will do something, so he just like casually, very casually. Does a backflip over their arms yeah. out of the arena? It's like, well, that seemed unnecessary. <laughs> um, and then transition to a dialogue sequence. And is this where you started noticing the dubbing, Kyle? Yeah, I, I was worried <laughs> at this point because I'm like, I, I'm like, they hadn't talked really. I hadn't talked yet, no. so I'm like, this is probably going to be dubbed. I'm gonna have to deal with dubs. It's fine. But when this. Um, head monk whatever starts talking I'm like holy shit like you can see the white dude in the booth just like yes lee this is what's going to happen now like <laughs> it the best way to put it is wayne's world 2 whenever cassandra's dad is on screen whenever he's talking whenever he's dubbed it's it's exactly like that yes it's it's on that level um i think there's a reason for this sequence in particular though um 
I do you happen to know like what version of this movie you watched? The one that's on Amazon Prime. Okay. Um. So I have a DVD of this movie that I watched, and uh, as soon as you put the disc in, the first thing you see is Linda Lee, um, Bruce Lee's ex-wife, um, who was married to him when he died and everything. Brandon's mom. Um. Anyway, she gives this like couple minute intro, just talking about this cultural significance of the man and the movie. Um, and she also points out that uh, not only did he pass away before its release, um, in between uh, its completion and his death, uh, they went back and they cut out some scenes from it. Mm. And she said most of it was dialogue scenes having to do with philosophy and whatnot, uh, which is, I think, actually Bruce Lee's biggest gift in a lot of ways. Like, I mean, the man went to school for philosophy. If you listen to the way he talks, you can tell that's more than likely his real passion. Um, it just so happens that martial arts served as a conduit for his philosophical beliefs and whatnot. Um, and I have a, I, I strongly believe that this scene in particular is one of the ones that was cut from the original theatrical release for this movie because this, this whole dialogue scene doesn't even need to be here. No. Um, uh, but yeah, basically mm. what we have here... Well, well, he does... I mean, the dialogue scene, he gets to... Um, the head monk is like, listen, Han has brought dishonor to the Shaolin Temple. And that that's kind of the gist of this talk. I mean, there's exactly one line in particular that needs to be here, and that's uh, destroy the image and you will destroy the enemy, uh, yeah. which comes into play at the very end of the movie. Put a pin in that. Um, but yeah, there's a lot of really... A lot of really interesting poetic dialogue here that you can tell Bruce probably wrote himself um, to have no tech. Like, what is your technique to have no technique? Uh, who is your opponent? There is no opponent. <laughs> the word I does not exist. Um, a fight should be like a small play, but played seriously. Um, I do not hit. It hits all by itself. <laughs> it's like in reference to his fist. <laughs> and... I'm pretty sure that all came directly from Bruce Lee. And, I mean, it needs to be said, the man was a hell of an orator. Like, he, he could talk. Like, if he was a pro wrestler, he'd be like he'd be like The Rock or something. Mm-hmm. He'd be like Mr. Kennedy or one of those guys who, like, you don't so much want to see him do his thing physically, you just want to hear him on the mic. <laughs> um, but, yeah, the, the line that I referenced earlier was um, his master is reminding him that the your enemy ultimately deals and illusions like more than likely it's all just like a brave front or something if you can crash through that and get to the real substance of of your opponent that's how you can destroy them um and yeah uh this is where we get first mention of the chief antagonist of the film that would be han uh who it's revealed here is a disgraced shaolin monk um and then we get to meet mr braithwaite uh who is a british intelligence agent of some sort i guess British Interpol or British CIA? I don't really know. I, I want to say Interpol. Um, they they even point out the fact that he's not really he's not really in charge of the trigger men. He just calls the trigger men. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like so it's like you don't really do anything, do you? He's mm-hmm. he's like he's like the guy in Office Space with the red stapler. It's like yeah. So what do you do here? Um, but yeah, we meet Mr. Braithwaite. He was present during the sparring match that we saw earlier. Oh, we sit down that. for tea. Uh, he's like, he's in one shot. Mm. Um, you just know that he's there. He doesn't say anything. He's just there. But anyway, they sit down to have tea, and then we have another moment that 
may have been cut from the theatrical release of the film. Um, and that would be Bruce just kind of like getting up in the middle of tea, like mid-sentence almost, and saying, it's, t- it's Lau's time. And he walks up to some student who came up the steps in the background, and he just excuses himself from this meeting with this British government agent um, to have like a lesson with yeah. apparently one of his disciples or something. And, uh, disciples, yes. Yeah, sure. That's some good, but yeah. <laughs> um, kick so me. this is the this is the kick me scene, and my initial reaction to this was, "What a dick!" Yeah, <laughs> I, I think uh, you brought this... this up in a previous episode. The the idea of a person who can handle themselves, like maybe having an air of like an aggressive air of confidence about them. Mm-hmm. Like think think Steven Seagal. Yeah. Like how many how many movies have you seen Steven Seagal walk into a bar and encourage someone to take a swing at him? This is more like uh, Bill Belichick going up to people. Like this, he's known for doing this, from what I understand. Is he'll just like. If he passes you in the hallway, it's basically like, fuck, fuck, fuck. He's going to ask me something. And uh, that's what happens. Like, so, like, somebody, he'll just be walking by and he'll ask somebody about a play. He's like, all right, what's this play? All right, what happens if he calls an audible? What happens now? And, th- I mean, this is what happens. It's just how, how, his, how his team stays sharp. And that's what I thought here. I'm like, he's not being a dick. It's just, like, he's going to, like, check him today. He's just like, all right, I'm going to see how this guy's doing. He, almost, like a, almost like a coach. That's how I kind of saw it. Yeah, no, it it's not, it's not him being mean. It's just the way the way it starts. Just like first thing you say to the guy isn't good morning. It kick me. <laughs> it's like uh, I, I just saw what you did out there. I don't think I wanna. <laughs> like, it's like what if you hit me back? <laughs> it's like well, that's the point now, isn't it? It's like give me an excuse. I need an outlet. God damn it. Um, but yeah, this is where he. Uh, he does some more Bruceisms, um, and he instructs this fella after he throws a wimpy kick. Um, he tries to advise him, and he tells him, "We need emotional content." <laughs> and it's like, "I don't understand, but no. I'll try again." Um, but it starts to make more sense as he continues to throw kicks, and he tells him, "Like I, I said, emotional content, not anger," um, because naturally, if I've always operated from the assumption you can only ask people to do something twice. Any more than that, and they start to get mad. <laughs> yeah. and, that, and that's kind of what happens here. Um, but yeah, Bruce Bruce has this moment here where he... Uh, by the way, his character's name is Lee. So if that, I call him Lee or Bruce, it doesn't fucking matter. It doesn't even matter. Yeah, I do appreciate the names. It's we call, We're referring to the characters by their names throughout the film, like, a lot. So it's easy to remember their names. I appreciate yeah, that. and there's only a few of them, thankfully. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it, it's surprising actually how how memorable all the character names are in this. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, Bruce has a really cool moment here where he he's he's like it is like a finger pointing to the moon, <laughs> and then he slaps the guy and he tells him, "Don't concentrate on the finger, or you will miss all the heavenly glory." <laughs> so he's basically basically he's it's like. Um, forest for the trees i guess i guess <laughs> like don't focus on the the obvious detail focus on the whole picture i guess is is what i got from it um and then yeah very abruptly the title sequence just kind of like crashes into the movie and like yeah. dismisses that scene it was um, a cold open get, yeah yeah um and then we get the theme music um complete with bruce lee screams uh, which is very memorable and very awesome it's very funky because this is 1973 um, I used to listen to this on a CD player, 
um, on a bumpy bus back in the day. This was one of the earlier MP3s I downloaded back in the day. Um, I didn't use Napster. I had like Kazaa or something. Mm. Or Eat LimeWire. No, LimeWire I never got into, but Emule was like one of the big ones for me. Um, but yeah, we, we get uh, shots of Hong Kong at a distance. And eventually uh, we're introduced to Jim Kelly, who arrives on a plane. And then we get to see him wandering the streets. And in time with him, uh, like like the timing of, of the edit here is really cool. Where we get to see him like walk into a street in Hong Kong. And then on screen it says, and introducing Jim Kelly as Williams. And I was like, that's, a, that's how you enter a fucking movie. Right. <laughs> it's like you get your credit in time with your appearance in the movie. That's awesome. And uh, Jim Kelly, I think my dad told me he was a tennis player. Hmm. Um, who also was a martial artist, and he parlayed this movie into a pretty good career in in black exploitation movies, in particular. I was gonna say he looks like the poster child for black exploitation movies. Um, I could be totally bullshitting, but I I want to say there exists a movie that I I definitely want to see. It's like him, Fred Williams, and maybe Jim Brown all in the same movie. And just on paper, I was like, that sounds amazing. <laughs> like, I need this in my life. Like I said, it could be bullshitting. It could even be a fake poster, but I seem to remember seeing something about that. Um, but I liked him in this. He he has screen presence. He definitely has a fucking look because he's super fucking jacked and he has an awesome haircut. Like, he looks he's like he's going to call the somebody. The afro of afros. <laughs> I was going to say, he looks like he's going to call somebody a jive turkey at any moment. <laughs> it was probably he probably said it on set a whole bunch and they're like i don't know if the core demographics going to cut that jim <laughs> <laughs> um and then following his introduction so he's williams um uh, we see john saxon arrive with a pedicab and a, a second pedicab driver for all of his luggage um so if you can't see the parallels to johnny cage already um then you i guess weren't around for mortal Kombat. <laughs> yeah um, um, I thought, I honestly thought that uh, John Saxon was dead. He's not. He's just very old. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he looks great actually for his age. Um, yeah, I thought he look. I, I mean, with his with his eyes and his eyebrows, he's always going to look great. Um, John, I've always liked John Saxon, even though I haven't seen him in many movies. Mostly just this and like a Nightmare on Elm Street. Um, but I just like the guy. Like he has great screen presence. He has a way about him that just mm-hmm. works for me. Nancy, um, <laughs> the movie you're talking about with uh, Jim Brand, J- Jim Brown, Fred Williamson, and Jim Kelly and Richard Roundtree is oh, one wow. down, one down, two to go from 1982. Okay. A pair of tough cops go after the mob who jinxed the martial arts tournament and injured their buddy. Okay, uh, thank you for putting that in the show because now I need to see that. <laughs> I need to find it. I need to see it. Um, but yeah, John Saxon arrives and. Uh, then we abruptly cut to a film exhibition where the plot is relayed to us, the viewer. Um, so this is Braithwaite and Bruce both uh, both suited up and sitting in a boardroom of sorts. And uh, Braithwaite is showing black and white footage of Han and his henchman, O'Hara. Yeah, who looks like um, Barry fucking Gibb. <laughs> no shit. Yeah. <laughs> Um, and Honestly, O'Hara I think it would have been funnier if it was Barry Gibb because he's a well-known asshole. Like, this would have been a perfect Barry Gibb movie, or have Barry Gibb in the movie. <laughs> uh, well, this guy O'Hara is played by a martial artist by the name of Bob Wall or Robert Wall. Yeah. Um, he he has a storied career in early martial arts films in this country. 
Uh, he's been in multiple Bruce Lee movies, um, most notably Return slash Way of the Dragon, the one I told you is actually my favorite of his movies. Um, and he was the one that wanted to find Steven Seagal and beat his ass. Oh, <laughs> I think he could do it. Yeah, he looks like a tough guy. <laughs> he looks like a scary motherfucker. Can I laugh in your face? Oh, fuck. If, if, folks, is if that you... from, like, Arsenio Hall or something? No, he was. it was just some dude... Um, some dude was interview, interviewing Steven Seagal, and Steven Seagal's like, there's nobody in the in the industry that could even touch me. I'm the greatest martial artist of all time. And he's like, what about when you're, like, you, you say nobody. He's like, it, no. Who, who, who do you think? Who, who do you have in mind? He's like, Michael Jai White. He's like, can I laugh in your face? <laughs> Michael Jai White would fuck him up, like, with one hand, I would, I would say. It'd be easy. Well, what, what's especially shocking about that to me is the fact that the two of them have worked together. Like they've been on a yeah. set together. That's what he was referring they, to. It was it was in it was in regards to a movie he was on, like a, a the film set that he was on. It was Exit Wounds, I think, was mm. the one that they were in together, and they they had a fight scene together. And it's like, man, <laughs> like like whatever happened to the humble aspect of martial arts? Mm. <laughs> uh, yeah, Michael J. White hasn't been shotgunning biscuits for the last fucking thirty years. Like Jesus, the goal. Biscuits <sighs> and borscht. <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> um. So. During this exhibition of like black and white footage, um, we get some hype for uh, O'Hara. We get a like a slow motion montage of him doing martial arts training and like smashing flaming bricks and stuff. So it's basically hyping up the fact that he's a tough guy. Yeah, you got to watch out for him. Um, and Braithwaite also points out that oh, this was shot before he got some sort of facial scar. Let's put a pin in that. Um, and yeah, he tells us about how uh, Mr. Han. Uh, has an island fortress of sorts uh, that he acquired after the war, which I have to assume is World War II. Um, and he's trying to construct something that he's calling a school of martial arts, which Braithwaite believes to be something far more sinister. Um, he also mentions that Mr. Han hosts a tournament every three years, a mm-hmm. martial arts tournament, and this is his only contact with the outside world. Um, and the reason why they're they're acting on this now is they found a like a, a flight attendant dead on the shore like a young woman um, and she was pumped full of heroin and they suspect that she came from Hans Island mm-hmm. um, that's a problem <laughs> that's an international problem in fact um, and Bruce has a moment here where he asks like why is no one shot this guy <laughs> like, like yeah. if he's that much of a problem why doesn't someone just shoot him and we don't actually get a straight up explanation for this because this is this a just... uh, martial arts film and we need you to punch him i mean in like space balls or airplane or something braithwaite would do that he just looked directly in the camera it's like because this is a martial arts film film <laughs> bruce <Yeah. laughs> he's like my name's lee no it's bruce right now because you're being a shithead <laughs> you're asking all the wrong questions you're ruining the illusion <laughs> it helps maintain the illusion <laughs> helps maintain the illusion ah bruce campbell is so great in those spider-man movies <laughs> i love i love that little fist clench he does in spider-man 3 i'm guarding my, my life it's perfect um, and yeah, also Braithwaite, uh, at the mention of guns, says that Han had some sort of mishap involving guns. Put a pin in that. Um, I think we can assume what exactly that mishap involved, a, a specific part of his anatomy. It's not, mm-hmm. it's not his dick, as far as I know. Um, 
And there's a funny moment here before the scene ends where Braithwaite offers Bruce a drink and Bruce just weighs it off and then we cut to Braithwaite just like giving like a shrug like, oh, more for me. Bruce Lee didn't strike me as a man who drank very much. No. Um, I've always assumed that he was a man that was more about um, physical fitness and like healthy diet and like exercise regimen than he was a like a true fighter mm-hmm. like that i think that's like the the biggest myth about the man is that he was like a, an amazing fighter or something it's like i think he was an amazing talker i think he was an amazing thinker i think he was a very creative individual and i think he was a physical specimen but in terms of being a fighter i don't i don't think so gotcha. I, I highly doubt that um, but you know it doesn't take anything away from the guy it's like it's like okay i just listed like a half dozen amazing things about him and then there's one that's like mm, maybe not <laughs> it's like <laughs> it's not a big fucking deal cool your jets um but braithwaite also makes it known that they have a contact on the island that they've they've lost contact with a woman by the name of mei ling um so he says hey bruce when you're there maybe uh, keep an eye out for this lady Oh, sorry, I don't have a photo of her. <laughs> it's like, no, he he. I think he does, but she's Chinese. Um, <laughs> it's like, <laughs> thank in you. a different in a different movie, that would be pretty great. <laughs> well, how he finds her, we have to specify. I mean, there are white women on there. Like of the of the ladies they get to choose from. Like I'm like, oh whoa, she's this white lady. Okay, I guess we're, we're mixing a match in here. Oh yeah. Um, and then we cut to a, a sequence that slightly threatens to like weigh the film down for a minute here. Um, but basically it's a it's a uh, editing style where we're introduced to all the major players in the story and then we have a series of flashbacks. Mm-hmm. So we keep cutting back and forth between the present and the past for three different people in a row. Uh, so it's a big chunk of the movie that's devoted to setup uh, before we've even gotten to the fucking island. That... That's after the the goon chasing sequence, though, isn't it? We have to have uh, uh, that. Actually, is about to happen here. Yeah, because this um, was this so, was the sequence that felt like a Jackie Chan movie to me. Um, okay, because this I, is I this, get what you mean. This is this is choreographed different than the rest of the film. Like, I, there isn't a whole lot of fighting in here. I mean, uh, there's no like a Jackie Chan movie is a Jackie Chan movie is a Jackie Chan movie. They have almost like. Any of his fight sequences are the exact same. If you pick Rumble in the Bronx, you pick Rush Hour, you pick any one of his movies, I'm like, yeah, it has it has a flow to it in each one. The flow is different in each of the fight sequences in this. Like the first one is its own thing, but then we have like the tournament. But this one seems out of place because when we actually get to Bruce Lee doing his thing, he's mostly center frame the entire time, and people are just coming off screen into frame, and he's just hitting them, uh, which is really fun. Uh, but- <laughs> Wait your turn. You this, wait your turn, goddammit. <laughs> this is like we're we're moving from space to space. And we actually see her running, stopping, fighting people. Running, stopping, fighting people. And that felt like a Jackie Chan movie. And like kind of making use of like like the area around you. I don't know how you well, felt about that. A little bit. Um, I don't know if I'd say it reminded me of a Jackie Chan sequence, but it definitely felt different from the other scenes in the movie. Um, mm. and a lot of that had to do with the tone. Because uh, this actually culminates in a sequence that ends up being like the most serious deathly serious in the entire movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the lead up to it is downright goofy at times. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> um, but I think part of it might have to do with the fact that um, Bruce Lee 
I want to say his particular style of choreography, and, and he is credited as the choreographer for this film. I want to say his particular style of choreography works for him and maybe not other people as well. Mm-hmm. Um, because it needs to be said, the man is a very gifted physical actor. Mm-hmm. Um, he has presence. Uh, most of his most of his presence in this film is purely physical and just like him in the frame striking poses and giving facial expressions. He doesn't have a whole lot of dialogue, but he communicates a lot, and he's very good at at like displaying drama and excitement in the way he moves. Um, I don't think that that translates to other people being being told to do that though. Like you have to be Bruce Lee in order to embody like the spirit of the of what he's trying to communicate with with the steps that he's doing on screen. Um, and this woman, it's like it's funny because I I can't tell if she's talented or not. Because she, she kind of dithers back and forth between looking great and just looking clueless. Like, mm. from shot to shot. <laughs> it's really weird. Well, nobody looks as good as Bruce Lee. And I think that might be on purpose. Like, say what you will about the man. He was probably a little bit of a prima donna when it came to, like... His, you think? His, <laughs> his shots need to look perfect. It's so much so that other people's fight sequences can't look as good. His have to look better than everybody else's. To help him, like, help highlight how great he is. I mean, put it this way, John Saxon and Jim Kelly both have several fight scenes in this movie. None of them have slow motion, and most of them are framed radically differently than Bruce Lee. John Saxon's fight sequence on the golf course is fucking hilarious. Uh, It's it's pretty great, though. (laughs) I don't know if he... He probably did do some practicing, like some training with Bruce Lee, like they had uh, a little bit of training. I mean, his kicks, like his leg... Like just comes up like bare like it's not a straight kick. It's like his he can't even extend his leg all the way out. <laughs> it's pretty funny. Basically, what Kyle's describing is what what's supposed to be a head kick, like a leaping head kick. Um, his leg, his knee is bent in such a way, like raised up off the ground that it looks like he's sitting down in a chair. Yeah, because <laughs> he just can't extend that bottom half of his leg straight. <laughs> no mobility. Yeah, I'm like, yeah. oh my gosh, that's really I mean, bad. I've heard that he actually was a judoka, like he actually has legit judo experience, mm-hmm. but that's not what he's doing in this movie no. at all. Like judo is is primarily grappling and throwing, like it's not leaping kicks and whatnot. So was was Mel Gibson really doing those roundhouse kicks and lethal weapon, or was that a stunt double? No, that was him. Was it him? Okay, uh, most of it. I, I'm sure some of the like pulled back shots, like in the in the lawn fight with Gary Busey. I'm sure some of that was someone else. But God, like in Lethal Weapon Three, when he does the Chuck Norris kick in the office. That's yeah, that's movie. fucking hilarious. That's the best part of the whole whip movie. the whip the neck. <laughs> <laughs> Danny like Glover. Danny like Glover's quick, hips. <laughs> I love his quick little neck pop. He just goes crack. Crack like he's like I'm gonna get this. <laughs> oh, he kicks the water cooler. <laughs> that was brilliant, brilliant. Yeah, I'm gonna have to watch that. I want to watch that Mr. Joshua fight again. I need to watch Lethal Weapon one. <laughs> Eric Clapton, man. Those movies, uh, from a musical standpoint, holy shit! Really. They got Michael Kamen, Eric Clapton, um, I think Sting did the opening song for the third one. That I think Elton John did a song. I think one of the fucking Beatles did the ending for the second one. That was right when Sting George, was... I think it was George Harrison or something. Oh, 
but um, Gary- from a musical standpoint. And then why can't we be friends for the end of the whole series? <laughs> Gary Sharon Van Halen song at the beginning of Lethal Weapon Four that the guy's listening to. Oh uh, yeah. Oh yeah. The the fire. fire. Whoa. Yeah. <laughs> I love those movies. All of them. Like all of them. Uh, anyway, uh, yeah, Bruce is cut to him in Hong Kong, and uh, he is being rowed out to the ship that's going to take him to Han's tournament. And uh, we have a Wayne's World transition where everything goes, and it's a flashback uh, to Bruce. I don't know what his association with this guy is, but maybe it's his dad. I don't know. But it's an, it's an older gentleman. Uh, who was present at the sparring match with Samuel Hung, and, and he tells him the story of what happened to his to Bruce's sister. Um, he says, oh, hey, by the way, before you go on this mission to deal with this Mr. Han guy, I want to tell you about the time your your sister offed herself. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, oh, you, information that would have been useful to me yesterday. <laughs> Jesus. Uh, yeah, uh, she. this was the sequence I was talking about. Um because that's the that's the flashback. The, the uh, yeah, these uh, putty dudes just kind of come around with uh, what's the guy's name? The um, guy O'Hara. O'Hara. Uh, Barry Gibb. Um, Barry Gibb. And is Han here? Or is it just O'Hara? No, it's just O'Hara. O'Hara is just like, yeah, I'm gonna physically, I'm gonna sexually assault this woman, and she's just like not having it. So she just like kind of punches or slaps him or does something. Um, and they're like, we have to sexually assault her. So all the goons, all the putty dudes, just like go running after her. And this was the Jackie Chan scene where she stops, beats a few asses, keeps running, stops, beats a few asses, and just just goes on for. I, I was like, what the fuck does this have to do with the movie? Um, this is a pretty long sequence. Uh, it is. It's a good surprisingly. Six yeah, and it's it's pretty well done. I mean, it's pretty decent. Uh, I like her running around all the different places. Um, comes to her. Uh, getting to, she gets into, she's, uh, it's like, it looks like slums or something. Uh, that might be a bit heavy, but it's like a slum area where people are just in a window. Somebody's probably doing laundry or something. And, uh, she gets into this, this room and like the dudes kind of like run past her and she just like stops, like, like kind of backs towards like, like to get out again. And then more dudes run in and she stops and they like run past her. But then they they find her somehow. I thought it was kind of fun. Like, oh, is she going to escape here? Um, but No, they, these guys are very serious about sexually assaulting oh, her because they smash some fucking windows to get I'm, to her. Yeah, they're not they're not messing around. Uh, and they, climb, they climb over some busted furniture, like a mound of busted furniture that looks like, oh, man, if, if anybody smokes in here, and I know you all do, <laughs> like, this is going to be a problem for the whole neighborhood. <laughs> yeah, and, um, har- and yet... I was gonna say O'Hara gets point blank dick right in front of her and she's just slowly like I'm like what the fuck is she doing she's just like slowly reaching down on the ground for a shard of glass I'm like oh I'm like she gonna slit her own throat because that's a baller ass way to go out uh get get your blood all over them because when you slice the jugular it's gonna shoot blood it's gonna spray all over them and they're not gonna rape you uh (laughs) uh, (laughs) but but she um she performs um a 
a less ceremonious seppuku. Uh, she disembowels <laughs> herself. And I'm like, then, then I started getting racist. I'm like, is this a Chinese film or a Japanese film? Oh and my like, god, it's you pulled be. a Hank Hill? <laughs> <laughs> so no, are you Chinese or Japanese? <laughs> no, I knew it was a Chinese film the whole time. Fuck with you. Um, but I, I, but that, I bring that up because I'm curious because he's doing, would you consider, he does some jujitsu in this or is there, um, or are there submission holds in his style of fighting? Because so, it seemed like there might be Japanese tones in the film. So, um, okay, let me, let me explain. Uh, so a lot of, there's been a thing like in the past, I don't know, 10, 15 years or so calling Bruce Lee the first mixed martial artist. Um, because that was that was the whole thesis of his. He made a martial art. It's called Jeet Kune Do. Uh, it's, suppo- it's supposed to translate to "Way of the Intercepting Fist." Um, and the whole premise of it was that it borrows from other martial arts. Mm-hmm. Uh, footwork is inspired by fencing. There's actual oh. collegiate wrestling involved. There's actual jiu-jitsu involved. Uh, Bruce Lee himself, um, as you learned in watching Ip Man. Um, one of his earliest teachers was a Wing Chun grandmaster. Mm-hmm. So that's like probably the foundation for most of his martial art. Uh, he studied boxing. Um, so the idea was he sampled from everything. And instead of um, treating everything as like a singular art, he just combined whatever elements made sense. Yeah, it makes sense. Um, which, which in you know modern day thinking, yeah, of course. Yeah, exactly. if, if it's optimal, like why wouldn't you do that? Like if this is the best way to do something, why wouldn't you just do that? Mm-hmm. Um, but martial arts, particularly Eastern martial arts, um, are kind of dogmatic. Like the idea is like if you do one thing, like you Wing Chun, one or thing. if you do like Wushu, or if you do some form of Kung Fu, you are of that school. You represent that, that line of thinking, that particular philosophy. Gotcha. Um, which is why he got a lot of pushback from his fellow Chinese martial arts practitioners uh, for not only training non-Chinese people in in martial arts that were considered, you know, somewhat sacred in some ways, especially at the time, even to this day in some regards, um, but also for bastardizing them and, like, diluting them by bringing in other lines of thinking. Yeah, but we have those, you've seen those videos of, like, um, like masters in different types oh, of... Uh, I hate those. And They're then you, so awful to watch. No, you have masters uh, in these in these different uh, different martial arts that they'll fight like an MMA fighter and the MMA fighter will just fuck them up because... I know, I hate watching yeah. those because it's, it's so bad. Because, I mean, like, not to be completely stereotypical, but the concept of, of face, of, of like, uh, cl- like social clout and whatnot is, mm-hmm. is massive, especially in Chinese culture, but just most cultures in general, but, like, Chinese culture in particular, like... Your social standing is very, very, very important, especially back in the day. And having something like that happen to like a teacher or someone who runs a school or somebody who like a pillar of the community or something, that's just that's almost like worse than death in some ways. Because mm. um, like they did this in China also, but like in in uh, Japan, the they have a word like a phrase for it. it's called dojo yaburi, it means literally like school break. <laughs> basically what you do is you show up and you smash the teacher and you steal his students mm-hmm. <laughs> because like not only from a social standpoint but from an economic standpoint you could profit from that because mm-hmm. if, if you're the biggest toughest dog in the yard and you walk to the neighboring school and you beat ass 
everybody's gonna be like, oh, why am I why am I taking why am I lessons my from that here? guy? Yeah, yeah. Why don't I go over there? He's so much better. Um, but yeah, uh, you you literally did do see Bruce Lee do some jujitsu moves in this move because in this movie because he studied that to some extent. Gotcha. Okay. So yeah. it's not an accident. <laughs> no, not at all. And it was um, actually in, it was intensely like innovative back in the day. Like that was unheard of to yeah. to have some guy come from a like a certain martial arts background do other people's stuff. <laughs> like, That's why it's I mean, like it's like watching the the rock do a stone cold stunner. It's like it just doesn't happen. <laughs> it's like that but but that's his move. <laughs> hey, I have to ask you a question. Anytime you hear glass breaking, do you just say under your breath, "Oh hell yeah." <laughs> yes. Of course. I've been saying it for years. The first politician who deci- who like decides to pay the fee up front and license that music and like walk to the podium at a debate or something is going to be the next president. Oh, They have to have the, the walk too. Like I showed the, the you swagger. I showed you that uh, Monday Night Raw. I think that's what it was or SmackDown. Uh, the anniversary thing. Yeah, the fucking commercial for it. The wasn't that brilliant? I thought that was that brilliant. was brilliant. That was brilliant. <laughs> uh, you are underplaying how many times we see people on boats in this fucking movie. I'm like boats, bo- boats, because we're uh, in. I forget what this bay is called in Hong Kong. I've been there. Uh, it was the first place I ever. I was born in Kowloon Bay. <laughs> there you have it. Um, uh, no, I've been to this bay. It was the fr- uh, Hong Kong was the first country I ever visited outside the United States. Um, I just can't think of what this bay is called. Uh, is it just Hong Kong I Bay? Don't... Maybe. Maybe I, um, I don't actually know, but it, we we did get a few shots of it, like of the bay. So I feel like we're just traveling back and forth through there. This is what I'm assuming. Well, um, we'll get to it in a second here, but uh, I did like that the uh, the director had the wherewithal to film the locals to some extent. Mm-hmm, very much. Like there are a lot of lingering shots here and there of just you know the local Hong Kong citizens. Just they add a, a layer of class and flavor to everything. And there's yeah, one dude said yeah, all the, all the all the all the people rowing the boats have this like wiggle motion they do. He's got. To... I was watching his technique. I'm like, that man. He's been doing that shit forever. Like, look at that. Oh yeah. And then there's a there's a mom with a baby on her back while she's rowing. And then there's like an old lady. There's everybody's got boats. <laughs> like this this bay is crowded with boats, and all of our all of our major players have a a boat driver. Um, so it's just the driver and them in a boat. But, um. Yeah, after uh, after I didn't Bruce see Lee's one sister. cigarette. By the way, I'm sorry, I didn't see anybody smoking one cigarette. Yeah, you're right. I'm kind of shocked. Right, to be honest. Like, I've seen Hong Kong movies. I'm like, motherfucker, smoke. <laughs> okay, it's like the '90s there. They no, don't it, give it's, a fuck. Th- this is this is scientific fact. This is known. <laughs> like, you can smoke I, anywhere I, in China, dude. Anywhere. <laughs> no. I, now you mention it though, it's like yeah, I don't remember seeing much smoking in this movie. That's weird. Um, but yeah, after Bruce's sister offs herself, and by the way, um, the guy that Bruce was talking to, maybe his dad, maybe his friend, I don't yeah, know. he he was guy, the yeah. one that gave O'Hara his eye scar. Mm-hmm. Um, he slashed him with a knife preemptively. By the way, that's badass. <laughs> it's like you're shooting, you're shooting that girl. Look, taste a knife. <laughs> um, we uh, cut to Bruce in a suit in hong kong um and he pays his respects to his mom's grave and he says you will not agree with what i'm going to do please try to find a way to forgive me bye i didn't even catch that okay 
Oh, it's like a two-second sequence. Oh, okay. Um, basically, the guy tells him, like, hey, by the way, while you're in Hong Kong, maybe pay respects to your mom and your sister. Because they both died there, apparently. So, John Saxon, we have to do our John, Sa- John Saxon impression, but since I've been watching Mad Men a lot, it's just going to come out as JFK. So, uh, so anytime he's doing something, that's how I'm going to do it. He's from Brooklyn or something. He's got a uh, he's got like a New York accent, but I'm going to go a little mid-Atlantic on it. Okay. So, John Saxon arrives, and he, just like Bruce, is in a, a single-passenger boat. Uh, although he has a shit ton of luggage with him. Again, remember, he's Johnny Cage. Johnny Cage. <laughs> this is like literally, I've heard it mentioned before, like, and you think you've said it, Mortal Kombat is literally Enter the Dragon. It's, it's, it is. It's literally that. So is Balls no, of Fury. It, Balls of Fury is literally Enter the Dragon. Yeah, no, like, almost any martial arts tournament film owes everything to Enter the Dragon. Because mm-hmm. this was kind of the one that, at least in the West, because it's like, like Hong Kong and China had been making martial arts movies pretty much as soon as, as long as they had motion pictures. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, however, this particular type of tournament film, like this was a, this was kind of a novelty in the West. So this was like the prototypical example of it that almost all others pay respect to. But yeah, uh, we have another Wayne's World transition to John Saxon playing golf and he is making a bet on a putt. Yeah. And damn that red sweater. <laughs> like, holy shit, that turtleneck red sweater and those tight pants. <laughs> All oh, yeah, the pants it, in this movie are tight. It's an outfit. <laughs> it is an outfit. Um, and yeah, he makes a bet on a putt. I didn't catch the number figure, but it's a significant amount of money. He yeah. fucks that putt up, and he fucks up his next shot, too. Yeah. <laughs> he slices it. Yeah. And he... Uh, he hits the ball off into some into the woods and he has to go recover it and while he's while he's poking around in there looking for his ball three sharp dressed men roll up on him three dudes dressed like Bruce Lee in once upon a time in Hollywood show up like this is exactly what he was wearing with the gloves and everything i'm going to watch that movie today i think just because of the Bruce Lee part of it and i'd want to rewatch it already actually yeah actually i i would want to rewatch that scene in particular immediately after watching this now that I, you've actually seen the man yeah i've heard that the guy doing it in the movie did a really good job and i didn't really notice it at the time but as soon as he started talking in here i'm like oh yeah i can i can already see the guy doing the impression yeah mike mo uh portrayed him in that movie and uh i know him from the uh, street fighter assassin's fist series he plays ryu in that ryu um yeah, Ryu. <laughs> um, he uh, he's he's a pretty solid martial artist. Um, I thought he did a good job with his portrayal of, of Bruce Lee. What I really like about that sequence is the uh, the editing, mm-hmm. because most of it is long takes. So even his dialogue, like when he's doing his big monologue, um, is one take. So for a guy who's primarily known as a martial artist more so than actor that's asking quite a bit yeah um but just after having seen this movie enter the dragon when you're watching that sequence again just pay pay attention to the way it's shot and the way it's edited it, it feels like of its time which mm-hmm. is really i appreciate that level of attention to detail um but yeah uh, these three sharp dressed men um <laughs> the man the guy in the middle with that belt his his belt buckle is solid gold, and it is a square that is the size of his face. 
Yeah, he's about the size of fucking Paul Simon. Uh, and he, <laughs> <laughs> he looks like him, too. I'm like, who's this guy He kind of does. Me? He looks different, like Paul Different Sim- hair, but yeah. but yeah. He's just ador- He's an adorable little goon. Uh, <laughs> John Saxon has like a foot on him. <laughs> and I do like the line here. He's like, give us the door. We got to break something. <laughs> yeah, it's good... the door, Roper, or you we got to this... break something. You see this guy? You see this guy? He doesn't want you to have the money. He wants to break your legs, okay? Uh <laughs> But yeah, so they they're like I guess he owes a uh, hundred large, fifty large, hundred seventy five. Woo, large. that's a lot of money. He's like it was a hundred and fifty, it was a hundred and fifty, and he's like, yeah, <laughs> hey, what interest. are you talking about? It was a hundred and fifty. It was a hundred and fifty. But yeah, they're like, nah, bitch. It's you got you got uh, you got to pay some uh, uh, some interest on that, uh, and he's like, it's not going to happen or whatever. Uh, but they're like, we're going to break something. And then John Saxon engages them physically. <laughs> <laughs> and his kick, it's worth, the the movie's, it's a fun movie, but if you just want to isolate one really fun scene from this movie, check this out. It's it's pretty good. It's impressive in that it's only like a couple of se- seconds long. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know. It looks good. Uh, I mean. Se- setting up a camera in 1973 was a lot more complicated. Like, mm-hmm. it's still very, very complicated in this day and age. But with digital equipment and like handheld stuff being more widespread, like martial arts movies in particular have benefited ex- like extraordinarily from being able to just like maneuver the camera and set it up as you please on the fly. Mm-hmm. Um, back in the day, though, with like film cameras and like like expensive dolly rigs and all that business, it was it was a thing. And so this was just one shot, and he dismantles three dudes. He like wrist flips the one guy and then like jump kicks the other two. It's good choreography. I'll give it that much. Like he's not a. I don't think he's very good. He's a very good uh, physical actor like that, but the sequences, it's sharp, and you can tell that it was it, it was practiced a lot, and it was, it was done really well, I think. Yeah, I, I think at the end of the day, it, it's not meant to be a spectacle sequence. It's no. more just to be utilitarian. A demonstration. Get it, yeah. get it done. Like, yeah. show that he can handle himself, and then get it done. Yeah, um, and... yeah these three guys are taken care of, and uh, comes out of the comes out of the woods and he talks to his caddy he has a lady caddy mm-hmm. quite fine <laughs> pam greer for a second no no <laughs> like, no, no she wasn't doing uh, movies in china at the time <laughs> i wouldn't think so and i, th- I want to say she got started a little later but who knows i don't mm-hmm. know um, when would she no she was like she was where the term foxy came from i'm pretty sure foxy brown <laughs> yeah, seriously um but yeah he uh, he talks to his caddy and uh, he tells her, uh, I want you to confirm the flight to Hong Kong because he has tapped the fuck out. And she's like, he asks her, like, how much money I got left? And she's like, $63. And he's like, well, you can have it because <laughs> I got to go to Hong Kong and get paid by beating some ass. Oh, no, she was full. She was in full Foxy swing at this time. Oh, yeah? This would have been, yeah. She could have easily been in this movie, honestly. This is 1973. Yeah. She started oh. in 1970. So. Well, in that case, they couldn't afford her. No, <laughs> no she was in she was in the thick of it. Yeah, Foxy Brown. Uh, speaking of couldn't afford him, uh, apparently John Saxon only agreed to be in the movie if he was not killed in it. <laughs> Interesting. I thought he which, was going to die for which sure. Which explains why another character gets killed in this movie rather than him. Because someone yeah, art die. art dies. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh my God! It's exactly Mortal Kombat. <laughs> 
you think <laughs> um speaking of art or at least the equivalent um yeah we, Williams. we cut back to jim kelly and uh, i did note that the soundtrack gets doubly funky yes, when he's on does. screen <laughs> he's, a, he's about to call someone a jive mother yeah <laughs> it's it's kind of it's kind of obnoxious but it's also hilarious like if you can step yeah, it's like yeah the wah wah comes onto the soundtrack only yeah. when he's on screen yeah he goes uh he, he comes in and he he goes to a dojo and nothing really happens here other than he just kind of he's inside i think he talks to some dude but it's just a bunch of uh bunch of dude it's a, it's a bunch of uh uh black dudes just like doing karate and so he's yeah. in like a it looks probably new york or something i'm not entirely sure um but yeah that's his dojo basically i don't know what he says here like, um, I, don't I don't think you can actually hear it on the soundtrack okay. i think it's drowned out by the sounds of the martial arts um and they're all doing drills and whatnot but yeah. uh yeah his flashback consists of him being at a dojo and then he heads out back and some cops Dude. randomly roll up on him some racial profile profiling and they call him a word i haven't heard in a movie actually since gangs in new york was the last time i heard the racial slur that they call him see i couldn't uh, even remember that so i was just like i don't know what that means but i know it's bad <laughs> I, I remember it because i'm like what did, i've never even heard that before and i'm like if i haven't heard it before and it's in a movie from the 19th century it's probably really bad um and yeah, they call him that, and I'm thinking, uh, well, they're racially profiling him from what I can gather. I thought maybe it was like payback where the two cops know him or something. They don't know him. No. He's just, <laughs> he is just yeah, accosted he is by just, them. He is just a black man in the city. Yeah. And he resists arrest, which, by the way, cops in the 70s, if you were a black man resisting, actually resisting arrest, that's found money for them. Like, that's that's like winning the lottery. Like, oh, this is going to be great. <laughs> we have a job to do now. Jesus. Uh, but yeah, he, he just, I think he clocks one and then the other one gets away. Which, that's not good. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> but he takes off in their cruiser, and then... Oh, he gets away in the cruiser. Yeah, he, he takes off in their cruiser. So he does handle both of them. Nice. Um, and, like, a local, like, junkyard dog, like, leaps on one of them. So it's like, oh, he, that man might not survive. <laughs> not <laughs> that's <gonna> great. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, yeah, he takes off in the cruiser, and we Wayne's World back to him on the boat in Hong Kong. I love uh, It is Wayne's World transitions every fucking time. I love it. It's exactly the same effect. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, yeah, uh, finally, finally. We get on the ship to go to Hans Island, and uh, Roper is already on board, and he, like, before they even exchange dialogue, we can see that he's very happy to see uh, Jim Kelly, uh, Williams, uh, who climbs on board, and then they uh, they have a little dialogue exchange here, and we learn that they haven't seen each other for about six years. And I appreciate them not having uh, Roper speak jive to him. Uh, that's what I thought was going to happen. I'm like, no, no, no. He just talks to him like a normal person, which... I don't feel like it happened very often in movies back then. I mean, asking John Saxon to do that <laughs> would have been the pretty man, funny. The man enunciates every syllable so clearly. <laughs> you want to talk jive? I'll talk jive. <laughs> <laughs> Suck some of that, you jive turkey. <laughs> like, no, no, don't ask John Saxon to do that. Hey, Raya, how you doing, soul brother? <laughs> er, uh, soul brother. <laughs> how you doing there? <laughs> There's a moment in Mad Men 
season where Don Draper um, they lose their tobacco account. Spoiler alert, by the way, they lose they lose Lucky Strike. Um, and to retaliate, it was their biggest account. He writes a paper about why we're not working with tobacco anymore. And it was a huge deal. He did it without anybody knowing in the agency. They're all fucking livid at him. Like you just like you just completely like uh, it publicly humiliated one of our old clients. Now none of them are going to want to work with us. And he gets a call, and they're like, his secretary's like, um, Senator Kennedy on the line for you? And they're like, whoa. I guess he was a, like an advocate anti-smoking uh, guy or something like that. Uh, and it's a dude on the other line like, Air, I uh, really saw it, liked your ad that you did in there. And it takes I, him a I little... Swore, I swore the ad that you'd, you'd done in the, in the newspaper. <laughs> it takes him a minute to... He's like... Like, really, like, wow, this is incredible. Then it takes them a minute to figure out, like, they're fuck. Someone's fucking with me. Like, it was a, it was a joke call. Uh, sorry, just remind yeah. me. Pro, pro tip, any any JFK impersonation needs to begin every sentence with error. Do you remember <laughs> Barry Boswick in Spy Hard? It's like. Yes, yes. <laughs> I got to no, go back that, and watch that. I, yeah, I, you know, I love those movies. I love those cool. Leslie Nielsen parody movies. Um, but yeah, uh, Roper and Williams were in Nam together, and it's been six years since they've seen each other. And uh, Williams starts like surveying the the deck and like asking Roper like, "Who's who on this on this ship? Who do I got to worry about?" I could tell from the just the I don't know what it is about this guy. I'm like, he looks like an Aussie. As soon as I saw him, I'm like, he looks like an Aussie. Yeah, Williams points out parsons who is wearing a blue suit and is just kind of pacing around the deck and apparently he's from new zealand he's a kiwi uh, act- in the film but the actor yeah, the is from actor Australia. is an aussie um and then neither of them know who bruce lee is um <laughs> they don't even uh yeah they don't know who he is but they don't he does not even do a new zealand accent he barely talks but he's not he's not doing a kiwi accent and like because he's just it, doing something this is for americans they're not gonna have any idea they have no idea what the fucking difference is <laughs> just yeah just talking he, to your noble voice he sounds like he he's just from there far away yeah <laughs> basically yeah um he looks like a uh oh who's dr octopus Oh, Alfred Molina. He looks kind of like Alfred Molina to me. A little bit, yeah, for sure. A similar nose and the eyebrows. Um, and then uh, Williams asked Roper, "What do you know about this Han cat?" <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, we cut to them at sea uh, because Roper doesn't know anything. Nobody knows anything except for Bruce Lee, who we haven't talked to yet. Um, we're at sea, and. Uh, Again, hate to bring things into stereo stereotype land, but we got some betting going on. <laughs> uh, we have mantis fighting, <laughs> yeah. so we got bug wars. We got bugs, bug on bug action, and uh, yeah, nobody smoking. Nobody smoking. Nobody smoking though. What the fuck? <laughs> um, and yeah, Roper, he uh, he takes a bet against Bruce Lee. He's like, I'll bet fifty bucks on the big mantis, and Bruce Lee's like, I'll give you five to one for a hundred dollars and i'll back the little one and roper's like <laughs> it's like well i can't resist that action <laughs> i have a crippling gambling addiction <laughs> gulp <laughs> and uh yeah sure enough roper loses bruce lee celebrates with the the crewman uh, who he seems to have like some sort of affinity with and then uh we get to see parsons uh the kiwi uh kick kick some guy carrying some fruit yeah. Now, why would you do that? He he's bringing the fruit to you. <laughs> he's <laughs> why just, would you do that? Well, he's being an asshole. He's just like, yeah, kick this little. Sh-. He's trying to start a fight. Uh, yeah, 
Yeah, he he walks he rolls up on Bruce Lee and he uh, he starts throwing punches in front of his face, casually. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, do I bother you? <laughs> it's like you think. Yeah. <laughs> and then uh, we get another like iconic line from the movie. Uh, Parsons asks Bruce Lee, "What's your style?" <laughs> and Bruce Lee replies with, "The art of fighting without fighting," and that's one of his big quotes: is uh, "The art of fighting without fighting." And Parsons is utterly dumbfounded by this; he doesn't know what to make of that. Uh, so Bruce tricks him into like rowing out to a, an island beach for this, an exhibition. Yeah, this guy seems like he has about as many brain cells as Animal Mother from Full Metal Full Metal Jacket. Like he Ooh. just has like that same like like almost thousand yard stare kind of thing where he's looking through you. Like like there's nothing. Is there anything going you on got, in there? Goddamn shark. Yeah. <laughs> um, and yeah, basically he tricks him very easily by asking him to to you know stroll take a stroll down to that rowboat oh by the way i'm not going to follow you no <laughs> and bo- by the way i'm not going to give you the oars um and then he just lets the line out on the boat and uh he hands the line over to the crew members uh the people that parsons was harassing earlier and uh they have a good laugh over uh, watching this man you know potentially drown <laughs> and i need i need to point this out he looks genuinely distressed when he's in that boat yeah it's filling up with water Yes, the the boat pretty much submerges before we cut, and like the last couple frames of him we see before we transition away is like him like shaking his fist at the camera, like looking directly into the camera. <laughs> I don't think he was happy. Uh, so finally, after all this, we get to the island, and uh, we get to see a uh, Roper, uh, John Saxon, get mightily excited at the sight of I, I want to call her the Madam. Uh, <laughs> Uh, so she's standing out like at the at the harbor, I guess, or at the port uh, to greet them, um, and he's like, "Oh yeah, I'm gonna get some of that." <laughs> uh, and then also we get to see um, Bolo in his very very tight yellow shirt. I have it exc- exclamation on here because even I knew who it was. Bolo. Bolo. <laughs> yeah. Um, How could you not know who Bolo is? He he's like. I haven't seen. I think I've seen like maybe one movie with him, but he has such presence. Like when you see him, you're like, I know, I know his, I know him by reputation. Like I just know him. Like Bolo, I know who that is. Yeah, Bolo, uh, who is of course played by Yang Zi. Um, However, he changed his name, as far as I know, to Bolo. Bolo, yeah, because of this movie, because because of the success it brought him in his career. Um, I know him mostly for Bloodsport. I know you do. Um, he's he, yeah. He's worked with <laughs> Jean Claude Van Damme many times. Um, he played Chong Lee, the chief antagonist of that film. And it needs to be said, this guy he plays a magnificent bad guy. Mm-hmm. He almost never speaks, but his face acting, like his physicality and the way he uses his face, like he easily could have been an excellent pro wrestler because mm-hmm. he he easily. communicates a lot just with his body language and his facial expressions, uh, even in this movie. Um, and he did have a pretty extensive like film career in Hong Kong, as far as I know. I haven't really watched any of those movies, but um, he was a prolific martial arts actor um, for a long time. Um, he, and he's still kicking, as far as I know. And from what I've heard, his son is super jacked, too. <laughs> oh, <okay. laughs> um, but yeah, he's there. Uh, he He's just looking like pissy. like He doesn't look like a happy camper right now. And he doesn't get to do stuff for a little bit, unfortunately. Um then we get a really cool shot pulling back 
Um, it's a single shot that like pull zooms way the fuck back and then pans across the landscape of the island and we get to see that it has like a tiered structure to it and we get to see and appreciate the scale of of the island um, so we get to see like at least a hundred extras maybe a couple hundred extras all practicing martial arts in multiple courtyards um, the soundtrack kicks into high gear here and it's just a you know a good way to show that hey our movie actually has a budget <laughs> like we can do spectacle in, in our martial arts film bruce lee has trouble getting off the bus because he's got uh, a beacon uh shoved up his ass uh, that's how he had to smuggle it on. oh wait that's balls of fury sorry i'm getting those mixed <laughs> up my bad <laughs> needs to be said one of the dudes uh, they're all doing like punch drills like in all the courtyards there is one dude that is way out of sync with all the others this is where i saw the uh, the beverly hills ninja remember the beginning scene was the duh, duh, where they're putting their hands in the coals but he's just going above it and he's cooking a shish kebab yeah <laughs> <laughs> we get we get a we get a shot of that happening yeah he's got like a, his own like little his own little town here on his island mm-hmm. there's commerce <laughs> um and then we get a stock footage exterior shot of some sort of Chinese palace. And then we cut to the interior and we're in a fanciful dining hall. And this is like one part Temple of Doom and like <laughs> like one part Mortal Kombat. <laughs> I know you haven't seen the film, but this looks a lot like, and because of uh, what was happening at the time in the film, uh, a sequence from the Ten Commandments, Charlton Heston. Um, the Pharaoh that is, I mean, the Pharaoh that's there before Ramesses takes over, they're watching um, a show, and it's um, uh, Asian ladies doing a dance of some kind. And the it, the inside feels and looks just like this area. It's a little more cluttered here, um, but yeah, it, it reminded me of, uh, of that scene a little bit where there's just like a dude sitting on a throne watching. Oh, I mean, it's funny. I actually unfortunately haven't seen Cecil B. DeMille's uh, Ten Commandments, but I have seen a handful of sequences from it. Mm. I think I had a teacher that was like showing us um, the evolution of like special effects, mm. and he wanted us to see like the Pillar of Fire and the Parting of the Red Sea and all that stuff. The Parting of the Red Sea is noteworthy for sure. Oh yeah, it looks it looks amazing, <laughs> especially back then. Yeah, um, but yeah, I'd like to see the whole thing someday. Just I like Yul Brynner, Charlton Heston. I haven't seen enough of but his delivery always makes me laugh just because he he has that like puff out his chest kind of way about him he has one uh a little little monologue there uh whenever he's basically being banished from egypt or whatever but he's just like you can't uh dislike people because they're a different race a different creed (laughs) <laughs> in the way the delivery, like, it Kyle even, has seen this movie a couple of times. I've seen it a few times. I I know that movie front and back. Um, you can't see it, folks, but Kyle's face turned into Charlton Heston. He, he got the have to. just right. You have to do it like that. It's, you have to squint. It's, it's just it's this, it's a Clint Eastwood, but you actually talk, not whisper. <laughs> you don't rasp. Yeah, or hiss. Um, but yeah, in this dining hall, we get a really cool rotating shot that like goes around the whole room, and man, there's activity in here. Uh, there's sumo wrestlers in the middle of the room. There's all manner of food, a lot of which is still alive, including lobsters and whatnot. Uh, we have a band. 
have acrobats, we have lion dancers, and there are bird, bird cages hanging from every square foot of the ceiling. Um, and then, of course, ladies, like courtesans and whatnot, um, tending to all the, all the tournament fighters and whatnot. And everybody's being pampered and enjoying themselves while wearing, like, smoking jackets, essentially. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then amid all this, uh, you can tell Roper is in his element. He's got mm-hmm. two ladies. He's got a lady on each arm, and he's got some grapes. He's, he's enjoying himself. And Bruce is, of course, um, he's doing his, what, ascetic thing where he's just sitting, no ladies, no food, just kind of sitting and meditating or whatever. And he calls Roper over with just, like, a flick of his eyebrows because Bruce Lee can do that. Um, and they have a fun little exchange here where, like, Bruce is kind of, challenging roper and like saying like you seem very you seem oddly comfortable in this environment roper's like well maybe maybe not that comfortable i am after all second build (laughs) 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 um and then roper goes over to see williams and we have some funny dialogue here where williams points out that he can't he doesn't want to eat anything because he can't like it doesn't agree with him so this is like i forget what movie we talked about recently about like sushi or like raw fish being something that maybe wasn't wasn't a thing until later on in this mm. in this country anyway so in the 70s yeah i could see like having a bunch of live animals paraded around in front of you would maybe not sit too well with you <laughs> yeah. in, ter- in terms of like safety and like f- food prep and whatnot um and roper has the line i have a funny feeling we're being fattened up for the kill um He's, he's right. <laughs> um, I mean, it is Mortal Kombat, after all. <laughs> well, at least Han lets them fucking eat, unlike uh, uh, Shang Tsung in that movie. He's like, oh, yeah, you guys can sit down to eat, but we're going to throw all the tables so Sub-Zero can kill this dude real quick. I still don't get that, man. Like, why did they have to, like, come in like that? Why couldn't they just, like, ask them to move aside or, like, just roll, like, slide the furniture or something? No, they have to, like, upend everything and, like, kick all the food everywhere. Because <laughs> he's a fucking asshole. It's his island. Like, he's making a mess. Somebody has to clean that up. I mean, actually, that would have been funny if when Liu Kang fights Sub-Zero in the same room, like, the tables and the food are still, like, everywhere. (laughs) Um, When Han makes his entrance, he is so pleasant. He's He really is a pleasant host. Yeah, uh, he makes his entrance. Of course, he is preceded by a gong, um, which is... Of course. Yeah, yeah, I mean, why the fuck not? It's kind of on the nose, but why not? It's a Chinese movie. Uh... This is Han is played by a fellow by the name of Shi Kin. I could be totally butchering that. I'm sorry, but uh, he's a prolific Hong Kong actor. Apparently, has martial arts experience. However, I want to say he, if he's good, I, I can't confirm that. If he is good on camera doing martial arts, it does not translate to this particular style of choreography because no. he looks bad in this movie. Unfortunately, it's, yeah, um, it's like the worst boss fight ever like it's, it's not very bad. good um I, I don't think there's a way to defend it um it like i said though i think be, when you what everything i told you about bruce lee his martial arts principles and and the way he does things it works for him mm-hmm. but for somebody who worked within like the hong kong film industry and practiced traditional chinese martial arts a lot of the movements he'd be asked to do would be radically different from what he'd be used to like if you look at Hong Kong choreography from like the 60s and the 70s, it has a rhythm and a look to it that does not look anything like this movie. Mm. Um, so he might actually be good. I can't confirm because I haven't really looked at his filmography other than some stuff he did later. Like I think he was in The Young Master with Jackie Chan. 
but he was older by then and as far as i remember he wasn't doing the physical stuff um but another thing to point out is that he's dubbed in this movie um entirely um by an actor by the name of uh, key luke uh who was uh, who was he he was the um he was like the master character from the kung fu television series mm. um so he's you know an, a asian american actor who is dubbing the voice for this person um and it's a good voice it doesn't fit this guy's physicality but it's a great ass voice like (laughs) um but yeah han it makes his entrance and he is flanked on either side by several ladies dressed in yellow and uh he has a big speech here and it's it's very much the uh the shang sung it has begun (laughs) it's gonna start tomorrow you're all gonna have a good time don't try to fuck. Don't fuck around on the island, uh, uh, or these ladies are gonna kill you. He has the demonstration from his fembots. Yeah, your your souls are mine. Have a good night. <laughs> I mean, shit. <laughs> Said the loud part quiet and the quiet part loud. <laughs> Goro, just do it. <laughs> Outworld or um, <laughs> our world. <laughs> <laughs> this is like Outworld, China, China, China. I mean, welcome, like. Not, not another <laughs> I, plane of existence. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, he uh, he has his ladies uh, demonstrate their uh, their ability to throw sharp objects into apples. Um, one of which a lady blows a dart into a apple in midair, which uh, lands in Bruce Lee's hand. Put a pin in that. Um, and it's funny because the two sumo wrestlers in the middle of the room, they're just Are like frozen. frozen. Yeah, I noticed that too. They just <laughs> stopped mid whatever they were doing. Yeah, everything stops the moment Han enters the room. And as soon as the doors close behind him, everything resumes. Isn't sumo <laughs> funny. traditionally Japanese? Oh, yeah. It's only Japanese, basically. Yeah. I didn't know if, it, no, if they had it, if it, it went like a cross-cultural, if it was in other countries as well. Well, sumo in particular is the national sport of Japan. Mm-hmm. Um but wrestling as a thing is, you know, everyone has wrestling. Every, yeah. Everyone has cabbage and everyone has wrestling. <laughs> um, in particular, uh, Mongolia, apparently, is mm. one of the best res- wrestling cultures in the world. No kidding. Um, in, the mi- in the mixed martial arts world, Dagestan is like the hotbed for wrestling. Um but uh, sumo wrestling has been invaded by by the Mongols. <laughs> yeah, some of the, some of the top sumo wrestlers in Japan right now are Mongols. Mongolian, gotcha. Yeah, because they they have a tradition. I don't know what it's called, but um, in Mongolian culture, they have wrestling. That's kind of similar. Do you think before they go, they're like, "Let's get down to business to beat <laughs> the Huns." <laughs> I'm just picturing him with like headphones. It's like, what is he listening to? It's like, it's oh, it's probably like death metal or something. <laughs> it's like listen to the Mulan soundtrack. <laughs> We're going to Japan, you racist fuck. All right. <laughs> it's like I'm Mongolian. I'm not a fucking hun. I'm not a hun. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, cut to Williams post party, and he is listening to music. And uh, the madam walks in, and she's got a whole row of ladies. <laughs> it made me think of Balls of Fury, where he's like, would you like, you know, refreshments tonight? Would you like a, a companion? He's like, uh, I don't know. Yeah, and it's just a bunch of dudes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, I mean, great. 
there's that and then also i want to say rush hour 2 references this a little bit with the opening scene in that the, was fun like the massage bar or, or whatever and chris tucker pointing at like six different women oh yeah the, well the one like cups her breasts i yeah. knew her right there and then her and then her yeah 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 i you know i remember that scene for sure oh, yeah. <laughs> but um <laughs> Yeah, J- Jim Kelly here, Williams. Um, he has a funny line here where he picks like four girls. Yeah, and he's like, "And if I missed anyone, just understand it's been a big day, and I'm a little tired." <laughs> <laughs> like that—that's that's a cool guy. Maybe the <laughs> night before a martial arts tournament, don't bust a nut. I'm just saying, like maybe. Uh, I mean, traditionally in fighting, that actually has been like the the logic. Yeah. Um, I mean, even a uh, Mickey in a. Rocky women weakens legs. <laughs> Jesus. But yeah, traditionally, like fighters usually abstain from that. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, we cut to Bruce, and uh, he, I love his. I mean, Bruce Lee, I don't know if you picked up on this, but like from a physical standpoint, I think he was a gifted actor. Like his ability to convey emotion and like even like humor just mm-hmm. with physicality. I thought, I thought he was very good because yeah. all these ladies parade into his room and he gives us like wave and a smile <laughs> like he's just like thanks but no thanks Thank he doesn't say a word he just gives them this big smile and a wave <laughs> um but he refuses the women being offered to him however before the madam leaves he says i'd like to request the woman who uh who threw this dart from the apple that he caught earlier um which would be mei ling uh, who's who he's trying to meet up with and then we cut to Roper, and uh, he, um, because all of our heroes have to have some sort of accompaniment, um, Roper picks the madam instead yeah. of the girl. <laughs> she's I like, mean, he decided the moment he arrived. She's like, excellent choice. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> and then, uh, yeah, Bruce meets with Mei Ling, and uh, she tells him that the girls from the island, they disappear pretty routinely. Um, she doesn't know the logistics of that, but she knows it's happening, and she's worried about herself. Um, and then we cut to the morning, and Bruce is warming up. We get a really cool overhead shot of him doing a series of kicks and punches. It's it's a warm-up routine. He's not, like, exploding with fury or anything. Um, and then we get this awkward shot where he points his toe out, so he's, like, he's posted up on one foot, and he holds his arm, his leg straight out, and then he rotates, and the camera follows his toe, and then we see O'Hara just kind of, like, watching from the doorway in the background. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, how long were you there? Dude. That's really creepy. And, of course, uh, we get some Bruce Lee screams here. Where When he, when he pivots, he goes, ooh! <laughs> because why the fuck not? Yeah, right. And then, uh, yeah, we cut to the courtyard, and uh, we have a man who is very obviously dubbed. Uh, he comes up to Bruce Lee uh, because O'Hara had told him he needs to get in his uniform. Uh, for the morning exercises and this guy walks up to him with a clipboard and he says mr lee why you know wear uniform (laughs) it's like oh god i hope that guy got paid (laughs) um and yeah we do some punch drills and this is where we have the hands into hot ash and stones um if Chris Farley was alive at the t- like alive and working at the time, I'm sure it would have been great to have him just in the background doing shish kebabs or something. Yeah, right. Um, and then we dolly over to Bolo and Han, and this time Han's ladies are dressed in purple. And uh, yeah, we get the uh, gentlemen. Let the tournament begin. And then Bolo, of course, it's funny. Bolo acts as like the the official like referee for all these for all the tournament proceedings because mm. every match has to start with him going, bah! 
<laughs> he doesn't speak. He just makes a noise. <laughs> um, and then uh, we get our first fight in the tournament, and that would be uh, Williams versus Parsons, uh, the the Kiwi. From the, the Kiwi. Book. Yeah. Oh, and he beats that ass. I, I had no no doubt that he was going to beat his ass. Uh, it, it it's very frustrating for the Kiwi. Like he's really not taking this loss well. <laughs> yeah, uh, he is on the struggle bus this whole fight. Uh, he gets his ass beat pretty yeah. bad. <laughs> um, this is where we get to see Jim Kelly show that he he's got some moves. Yeah. Um, he has a style that's all his own. Uh, the way he he's bouncing and up on his toes is very similar to like a like a unconventional like Muhammad Ali esque boxer, like hands low and you know bouncing on his toes and whatnot. And uh, I like that the first shot to start the fight. Um, it reminded me of those Japanese sci-fi TV shows that I tell you about every once in a while, like Kamen Rider and Ultraman. Because uh-huh. they have a style of cinematography that was very much of its time, but they, they keep they keep it going to this day. But a lot of it involves uh, snap zooms, and either you start zoomed in on something and then you pull back very quickly, or the opposite. So the way this fight starts is it's like zoomed right into Jim Kelly's face, and then it zooms out at, like mid action, I'm thinking Kill Bill. That's I mean uh, very much so. Yeah, very much so. That, that always reminds me of that. He does a lot of that in that movie. Yeah, uh, very much so, and it's definitely intentional. Um, the studio that does Common Rider, like Toei, they kind of like I th- I want to say they kind of pioneered that style, and uh, it's carried on to this day. But yeah, uh, Parsons gets his ass beat, and on the side though, uh, we can see Roper doing a side bet with. A gentleman who looks like Emperor Hirohito. <laughs> oh. <laughs> he has the mustache and the thick glasses. It's like, what is that? <laughs> it's like, it, I mean, it's very clearly an like a, an Asian stereotype. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's it's just like this person is, is just made to look a certain way just to stand out. But it's a very curious choice. It's, it's not quite like Mickey Rooney and what, Breakfast at Tiffany's Ooh. or whatever. Because as far as I can tell, this guy actually is Asian. <laughs> <laughs> Unlike Mickey fucking Rooney. <laughs> Holy shit. Yeah. Yeah. That was bad. That was real yeah, bad. That was really bad. Um, oh, yeah. Rope. I haven't seen it. I it's, just know that You're scene. fine. Okay. Just skip it. Um, the but, best parts are the Mickey Rooney parts. And you're not supposed to like those. It's not supposed <laughs> to be funny. That's sad. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but yeah, Roper wins his bet with this guy, and uh, as he's as he's stepping up into the into the, it's not even an arena; it's just like a dirt clearing, I guess, with yeah, a it's bunch a dirt of dudes clearing. seated around it. Um, he tells Williams, "Hey, I've got like I've, I've got a pigeon over here." <laughs> he's like, "I've got a I've got a guy I want you to milk <laughs> for money." Um, so basically, he's trying to encourage Williams, like, keep this guy going. He's he's gonna take him for all he's worth um and this entire fight scene is shot pretty much from the shoulders up Mm -hmm. it is confusing and jarring and ugly to look at (laughs) um but yeah roper is fighting just some random guy and it needs to be said in looking up the credits for this movie um i saw yun biao in the credits but i didn't see him Mm. Um, i was looking for him i couldn't find him uh he's one of the uh i think they call them the three musketeers so it's Jackie Chan, Sammo Hung, and Yun, Yun Biao. Mm. And the three of them were all part of the same Chinese opera troupe. And they made several movies together. Uh, and they're all massively talented. 
and it's it's amazing to know that they're all in this movie at some point Hmm. um and they would all go on to bigger and better things for fucking sure but it could be that this was yun biao um he's shot mostly from the back so you can't really tell but anyway uh long story short roper keeps getting (laughs) he keeps intentionally getting beat up and falling down and we keep cutting back to williams like making beth like waving off bets with this guy on the sidelines and like kind of intentionally torturing his friend roper (laughs) um but long story short roper gets in the fight as soon as the bet is made and wins it because he's he's all about the money baby (laughs) um yeah he wins via a nut punch and then uh, several other blows and again he is johnny cage yeah he is johnny cage (laughs) <laughs> uh, yeah, he somehow comes out on top just from this nut punch, basically. Uh, I mean, uh, it is a nut punch. <laughs> yeah. and, and then we cut to that's the that's the tournament for the day. Uh, yeah, that's, that's it. And we get, two fights. We, we get everybody post coital at this point. Uh, Roper is with his lady. Uh, she's giving him kind of like a deep tissue massage kind of deal, like walking on his back. Uh, and then Williams. Williams put in some fucking work after this, uh, after this tournament, because <laughs> he's he's already run through four of them. Like, and he's like, I gotta go take a walk now. <laughs> yeah, they mile. they're they're all like walking around the room as he's like putting on his robe here, and they look done. Yeah, <laughs> like <done>. like, <laughs> like the one lady doesn't even get up. The other one looks like maybe maybe her brain cells got men- melted or something because she just looks out of it. Yeah. <laughs> it's just like, um, but yeah, uh, we get a little bit of side boob here, like mm-hmm. tasteful side boob. Tasteful side boob. Yeah, I appreciate that. Um, but yeah, Williams uh, puts on his robe and he's like, "I'm gonna take a walk in the moonlight." And one of the, one of his ladies, she says, "Like it's not allowed. You can't do that." And he's like, "Bye." Bye. <laughs> he go. He goes anyway. Um, and then we cut to Bruce, and he gets in like his cat burglar outfit, which I guess he yeah. packed with him. <laughs> this took forever. Uh, it, it, it does. I know. I'm like, I was like, he sneaks out. I'm like, this is like a 10 minute sequence. So like, this is the stuff you can kind of cut out of the movie. I'm and like, there's two of them. There's two of them. Um, I'm like, this is, is the equivalent of a diving diving scene in a James Bond movie. Yeah, I can see that. In an early James Bond movie, a lot of those movies are bogged down by diving sequences because I, I want to say it had to do with like camera innovations of the day, mm. where it's like the novelty of being able to shoot underwater to the extent that they did was probably somewhat new, and definitely something that would look interesting on camera. But looking at it today, it's usually pretty boring, and it bog- it just slows everything down. To to sum it up, what does he accomplish with this sneaking out? Um, it's not so much about what he accomplishes. <clears throat> it's a, it's what he causes to happen. Yeah. Um, him. So Bruce Lee, he, uh, he like does a solid snake thing. He sneaks around the island interior. He goes to the garden area and he finds like a, an air vent that he, he has a rope that he drops down into and like he gets like halfway down there. He's poking around in there. Um, but then somebody sees the rope and they try to cut it but he crawls back up just in time to intercept them and beat some ass so he beats up like four or five guys here yeah um and what happens here though is while he's down there doing all that um jim kelly happens to be exercising in the yard where he's not supposed to be yeah in in clear view of a guard who sees him doing it um which later on causes him to be blamed for everything that bruce lee had done 
Um, but yeah, uh, long story short, we cut to the morning, and uh, Han is very disappointed. He is not <laughs> happy. Um, but this is, uh, <clears throat> uh, I think this is, Balls of Fury does the same thing. It's like, uh, like they kill the translator or something like that the next day. It's kind of, the, it's the same thing, but Han's not happy. He's like, I heard the people were out on the grounds last night. That's not supposed to happen. It's unacceptable that my guards didn't catch you and do something about it. So what he does is, is he's like, these four guards are going to be punished. And this is the Bolo beatdown, as I like to call it. <laughs> yeah, um, the, the choreography here is very unique, <laughs> to say the <laughs> least. Um, so the, f- the first guy, Bolo just like takes his, his robe off and we get to see his, his glorious man boobs. <laughs> under nipples, those Robin show Robin Shoe, uh, under like the nipples are underneath the pecs almost. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. Um, but yeah, and I, I, I want to say I detected some back knee here. Some back, um, yeah. There's some back. You bodybuilders, dude. You, you, you're just gonna have some back knee. No, I, I know, and it's one of those things that it's like if you don't know to look for it, you probably don't even notice it. But it's like yeah. eh, I, I know what that means, <laughs> and and I know that I know that body is. Largely foreign to Chinese people. Yeah, <laughs> he's a he's a big guy, uh, to say the least. Um, but yeah, uh, he he does this move here where, um, as you'll see in a lot of the choreography later in this movie, um, somebody runs up on him and uh, he knocks him down, and then he steps on their head off camera. But the sneer that he gives when he does that stomp, it's like. <sighs> He looks like a demon. <laughs> he is like his face is like forty percent teeth. That's the other thing about Bolo. If you've never seen him, he's got like donkey teeth. Like they just <laughs> they're huge. <laughs> he got big teeth and he's got those sharp eyebrows. He's got a big mouth and you can see all of his giant teeth in there. Like I said, he would make a magnificent heel wrestler because he mm. his face is a, is a wonderful tool for an actor. Um. But yeah, he kills everybody else, um, and then the last guy uh, tries to run, but the crowd like shoves him back at him. Yeah, right. <laughs> so, like, I mean, that's what you do against Bolo. You just run. He's not built for cardio. Um, but yeah, uh, he tries to fight like a fool, and uh, he gets something I call the death cradle. Because <laughs> Bolo picks him up like he's a baby, mm-hmm. and he squeezes him, and I guess he like asphyxiates or something, or crushes his neck or something i don't know i thought he he maybe i don't know he like pulls his hair i don't know yeah i don't it's he just squeezes him and he doesn't look comfortable and then he stops moving (laughs) basically mountains him i guess maybe i mean without the special effects Mm. um but yeah uh han has he exchanges some words with williams here because it's largely implied that he suspects him um even though he didn't point the finger at him um, and then finally, finally, uh, Bruce Lee gets his turn in the tournament. You might have martial arts in your martial arts movie, right? Hello? <laughs> dick, dick, dick. Hello? <laughs> yes? Han. Yes, finally. Lee. I really hate that so, man. <laughs> uh, so, question. There, so, there's a gi, and then there's what um, uh, Bruce Lee is wearing, which is different. It's a different type of martial arts. Uh, martial arts. Um, uh, attire. What, what's it called? I actually don't know the Chinese word for it. I know uh, Changbao is a kind of Chinese garb. I don't know if that's what you would wear when you're doing Kung Fu or Wushu or something, but uh, yeah, uh, needs to be said that his opponent here is, of course, Ohara. 
uh, whose name will be said like 20 times in the sequence, um, <laughs> uh, played by Robert Wall, as I said earlier. He he is a karate guy, so he it's natural for him to be wearing a gi and Bruce to not be wearing a gi. You know who would have been better for this? Remember the guy from, uh, oh, what's that fucking movie with uh, James Woods we did, the boxing movie? Um, oh, Digstown. Digstown. Uh, who's the guy, the big guy? He was in Ace Ventura. He was the main guy, the, the guy that was in prison with them. He's like, can oh, you take my shirt? Uh, to Randall Tex Cobb. Randall Tex Cobb. There we go. Yeah, I, yeah, yeah, yeah. He has the look. This <laughs> is a Randall Tex Cobb role. I mean, he did a lot of movies of this ilk. Like, like he, he he's done crappy action movies yeah. and stuff. So why the, the fuck not? O'Hara looks even more like... This is where I saw it. Like, at the beginning of the movie, I'm like, oh, it's just a dude. But here he looks a lot like Barry Gibb. Uh, <laughs> it was distracting. It was really distracting me. <laughs> well, now he's about to get his ass beat, so it's dude, weird. Dude, he, he gets his ass whooped. It's... <laughs> Yeah, so the fight opens with the two of them standing off. And, oh, by the way, it needs to be said, um, the way they do their tournament fighting is um, they start each round with both fighters putting the backs of their hands against each other. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't know how common that is in in most martial arts. I actually don't know if that's actually a thing. I always thought it looked cool, though, Mm -hmm. um, because it's a cool starting position um, because both people are vulnerable. Um, Anyway, uh, they stand off and... uh, Bob O'Hara, he brought himself a board and he like breaks it right in front of Bruce's face. And again, Bruce has one of his classic lines, boards, boards don't, don't hit back. Don't hit back. It's like, oh, you're going to get your ass whooped. <laughs> I mean, honestly, the audience, like you and I have been waiting for this the whole fucking movie. And we get some it's good, like, this isn't the best squeals in the movie, but these are some pretty good Bruce Lee squeals. It, <laughs> it definitely. Um, <laughs> And this, the fight opens with what I call the backhands from hell. <laughs> because basically what we have is like multiple shots to the face where the two of them stand in their ready position and without Bob moving an inch, just whoopah! Yeah, he's getting stopped <laughs> and, and, and slapping there. I love I love the close-up of his face when he's getting up. He's just like, what the fuck was that? <laughs> like, he, he doesn't even look hurt. He just looks... How'd he do that? <laughs> He just looks utterly confused. <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, Bruce just repeatedly backhands him to the face, and they keep resuming the ready position. And I noticed we have this shot that pans across all the faces in the crowd, and there's one guy that is just locked in the people's eyebrow. <laughs> like, I don't think he's doing it. I think his face is just fucked up in such a way that he's just permanently locked like that. <laughs> um, but yeah, O'Hara gets sneaky because he's, He's not winning this fight. No. <laughs> it's um, embarrassing. He, it's embarrassing, and he's supposed to be the right hand man. For it's like Ronda. It's like Ronda Rousey getting her ass beat by Holly Holm. It's just like, what the fuck was that? No, no, no. By Nunes when she got beat by Nunes, where it's just that was savage. Yeah, that was more of a what the fuck was that? Yeah. What <laughs> like, did I just see? <laughs> That's basically what's happening to him right now. Yeah. Uh, so he gets desperate and he breaks protocol, so he doesn't assume the ready position. And he tries to grab Bruce's legs, um, which leads to him assisting Bruce Lee in doing a backflip kick to his face. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's, it's obviously an assisted backflip. I mean, let's call it what it is. Yeah. And then uh, this is the part where Han starts chastising him in the form of just calling his name out repeatedly. You help me beat your ass. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, you beat yourself. You beat yourself. 
<laughs> we're not doing a racist we're not doing a racist voice this is specifically a bruce lee voice yes um but yeah uh and then after some shenanigans here uh bruce does <laughs> so o'hara tries to do a leaping kick yeah you know, bruce ducks low <laughs> and he kicks him in the nuts <laughs> midair I, th- I thought he was gonna do i thought this was gonna be um remember Liu kang's finishing move on the uh the lion guy the the, the black dude who roars in mortal Kombat. i thought he was just gonna drop uh, kick him i thought it was just gonna uh, be a straight up drop kick yeah the the falling backward drop yeah front drop kick which yeah. i still don't understand the logistics of how that would hurt at all but okay don't whatever. understand <laughs> <laughs> physics don't work that way i'm sorry um, but then we get the the main event here, where we get a slow motion shot of Bruce Lee doing one of his famous uh, shuffle side kicks, mm-hmm. and uh, he he bangs O'Hara cle- like centers the chest, and uh, he goes flying back about ten feet and flies into the crowd, knocks over some chairs. We get some uh, Looney Tune sound effects. This is a Warner Brothers production, by the yeah. way. <laughs> some some loony like oh. wily coyote sounds of people falling down thank you the person doing this like the uh this uh the sound effects for like strikes and stuff like that was having a black i was picturing some dude in like a like a silly like a silly jacket and like we're gonna have fun today with all these now Ooh, really <laughs> the, the foley guy yeah the foley <laughs> artist <laughs> He's got like a clown, like like, like patch, like a clown nose on, like whoop, just having a blast in the, in the room. Yeah, I'm picturing like, do you remember Scott Hamilton, the figure skater? No. <laughs> he was kind of a goofball. He was famous for doing backflips on the ice and stuff, oh. and famous for being a crazy guy, like a fun guy. Mm-hmm. I'm just picturing like some guy like that with like rainbow suspenders and like like you said like a big like bozo the clown wig or something doing the foley the mattress ranch guy that's what i'm thinking of uh the mattress ranch guy that's a Um, washington washington thing but yeah it needs to be said all of the hit sounds in this movie are magnificent yeah they're the snappiest (laughs) poppiest sounds you'll ever hear um to the point that like they're still like indie filmmakers and stuff that make use of exactly these sounds in their movies because it's mm-hmm. it's so class it's like the indiana jones punch you hear it and you know it mm-hmm. it's it's so iconic um but yeah o'hara gets even more desperate um his chest should be utterly just caved in at this point but he gets mm-hmm. desperate he he grabs a couple of bottles and he smashes them so i guess he's like gonna bar fight him now also <laughs> no no food or drink on the on the floor there like th- it seems th- it's don't do that that's dangerous yeah for real man everybody's barefoot (laughs) he's about to glass him yeah yeah so we get a slow-mo sequence where bruce disables him and then we get an iconic moment where he uh jumps up in the air and he stomps on some part of his body and there is a audible crunch Mm -hmm. Um, but the most iconic part is the soundtrack gets really eerie and weird like very drug addled (laughs) and then we get a close-up of bruce's face like displaying mixed emotions like it's it's intense emotion but it's like somewhere between grief and anger and again this this is like bruce lee to a t like a, that that line of emotional content mm-hmm. i feel speaks speaks to his philosophy in regards to like fighting and conflict well i'd say for the character he's i don't think he's ever been in a, a situation where he's had to go so so far as to kill somebody but also during this fight sequences, Han, I think, is realizing who Bruce Lee is. Not necessarily who he is uh, who he is specifically, 
but he's recognizing the style of fighting, more or less, because Han's facial expressions change as he's watching this. I don't know if you noticed. Yeah, well, I absolutely noticed. And actually, one thing that I I wasn't sure when I should bring it up, but now seems like a good time is, um, despite this being known as a Bruce Lee vehicle and being like this massive cultural icon in so many ways, um, part of me wants to say that a lot of the way this movie is structured uh, represents maybe a sign of the times, where when you actually take a minute to think about how much of this movie is Bruce Lee. Um, it's not that much. I feel like this may have been a case where it's like, if we didn't have John Saxon in this movie, we may not have gotten this movie made. Because hmm. um, I want to say that the, the this movie has a very strange structure to it um, in a lot of ways, especially with the flashbacks and the way the screen time is shared in particular. I just Part of me wants to say that him being a Chinese-American actor in 1973 may have been a point of concern for some of the producers involved. Mm. So it's like, we need to have other ways to sell this movie other than, you know, this martial arts phenom who also happens to be Chinese-American. That makes sense. Um, I can't confirm that, but I just want to... Part of me suspects that that's the case because he actually isn't in that much of this movie. Um, And in particular, his relationship with Han is not that significant. It's, Hmm. It's downplayed a lot, to be honest. Um, speaking of which, uh, we transition to uh, a sequence that is a lot more dramatic in some ways. Uh, so this would be Williams being called in to see Han in his in his chambers in his office. Um, so through like a couple of lines of dialogue earlier, uh, we got the sense that Han believed Williams was the one who roughed up his guards and whatnot. So he already suspects him. Uh, now he's having a one-on-one conversation with him, and Han is, like, straight-up threatening Williams in his office. And uh, I forget exactly what the lines were, but Han is basically saying, like, oh, you're a very confident man. It's like, it's going to be really sad, like, the day, like, defeat finds you or whatever. And he's like, I'm not too worried about it because I'll be too busy looking good. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, God damn. Like, whoever wrote his dialogue, they had fun. <laughs> and then, um, yeah, then he has to beat some jive turkeys. Yes, um, this is a pretty funny sequence uh, where uh, Han straight up accuses Williams of, of what had happened with the guards. And <laughs> Williams' reaction is, Bullshit, Mr. Handman! <laughs> Mr. Handman! <laughs> and then some, some putties walk in. And yeah. uh, the music kicks into high gear. And uh, Jim Kelly looks at Han and he says, Man, you come right out of a comic book. And it's like, he totally does. Yeah, he does. <laughs> I mean, he, he just he didn't even say anything. His henchman just came in. Um, and, then, and yeah, Williams beats some ass, but then uh, some other shit happens. Yeah, Han ends up uh, fighting Williams, who I would assume... Uh, Han is like five feet nothing, and he's like in his 60s. Um, I don't see how he's menacing at all as a villain. Uh but yeah, they, they get into a fight, and this is the sequence that was kind of strange. Like they get into a fight, and they end up busting into another room, uh, and it it's like the lounge for the ladies, that ladies yeah. that work there. And this was kind of an interesting thing. Uh, he's kind of humiliating them in front of what I can assume were like all the ladies he's already ran through, uh, and he's yeah, and they're all like laughing at him basically. And uh, it's kind of a strange, it was a strange sequence for this movie. Yeah, um, it's very very dark. Yeah, it's very dark. Yeah, um, and violent too. Um, it needs to be said, this is a pretty violent movie. Um, I want to say it was Bruce Lee's influence because um, a lot of his movies 
in between beats of choreography um they apply like blood and bruises to people's faces in his movies which was not too much of a thing back in the day um nowadays it's more commonplace but in his movies in particular i I think it was important to him to like show that when people get hit there's like things happen Mm -hmm. (laughs) people's faces get fucked (laughs) um um, but yeah the sequence when i first saw this movie i was probably like 11 or 12 and I remember being very confused and like off put, like just not knowing what I was looking at and just desperately trying to figure out what was going on. But yeah, this is like a bunch of drug addled women all with like their faces painted and stuff. Um, So this is like, just imagine like the set of an Austin Powers movie complete Mm -hmm. with psychedelic lighting and music. Um, And there's even a part where Jim Kelly falls on a woman who everybody's laughing. Like everybody's like uncontrollably laughing and he falls on this one woman wearing sunglasses and when he rolls off of her, we see that one of the lenses of the glasses is cracked, mm-hmm. and she's still laughing. <laughs> it's like, you know, that's a big guy that just fell on you, and you're not yeah. even, like, it didn't even hurt, but I guess they're all cracked out of their minds. Yeah. But, um, long story short, uh, Han gets to chopping, so Jim Kelly's on the floor, and Han starts chopping him, and uh, if you pay attention, like, the, the sound effects during all their fighting, like, every time Jim Kelly gets hit, there's, like, a metal clank. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, yeah, uh, Jim Kelly is killed via chops to the head, and uh, Han takes off one of his gloves. But which, by the way, he wears black gloves in every scene he's in in this movie. Hence, Mister Handman. <laughs> and uh, he reveals that he has metal hands underneath, which mm. um, feels like a direct ripoff slash reference to Doctor No, uh, the first mm. James Bond movie. And in fact, this whole sequence. Like, a lot of this movie feels inspired by James Bond. Thank you. It does. The whole time I was watching, like, this just feels more like a James Bond movie than anything. Um, yeah. And that might have been well, what they were it going go- for. It, it goes both ways, though. Um, mm. This movie, um, The Man with the Golden Gun, came out the year after this movie. Oh, and really? does, in fact, owe some some elements to this one. Interesting. I'm going to have to watch that. that um, I mean, to me, that's the history of James Bond is it's inspired. It both inspires and rips off from everything around. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, next we have um, Han and Han and Roper have a meeting and um, I guess he was going to try to recruit. Um, Han was going to try to recruit Ho- Roper because there was something that um, the, the madam said to him in passing. He was like, you know what? this is the kind of place for a guy like you. Like, you would fit in really well here. Like, she's kind of planting the seed, and now Han is trying to fuck the plant. Um, <laughs> he's just giving him a spiel. Whatever vague, illegal operation he has, I couldn't really follow what exactly he does other than these tournaments and maybe drugs. I'm not I'm not positive. But what yeah, the mean, fuck was with yeah. the cat guillotine? What, what was I that mean, all the, about? The cat feels like another explicit reference to James Bond. Yeah. Blofeld. Yeah, directly. Yeah. Um, Dr. Evil. He, he uses it as a... Yeah. <laughs> he uses it as like a, a a trust exercise, I guess, where he's he puts the cat in the guillotine and he waits for Roper to... Like, he's holding the chain to operate the guillotine. He's like waiting for Roper to react to it. And Roper saves the cat. By the way, that cat hates him. Yeah. Like, it takes a swipe at it. Cats don't like people in general. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, they only like when they feed them. Yeah. Um, um, and I think it was just a, it was both like a like a visual gag, you know, a nod to James Bond, as well as a way for Han to gauge how ruthless Roper was. 
so we the audience get to see that you know i'm not such a bad guy once you get to know me <laughs> he's got like a final solution kind of thing going on where he he takes him down to his little dungeon that he has and i don't one of the cages he says these are men that uh drink so much that they don't care where they wake up in the morning and it's a bunch of dudes that just look hungry uh sitting in a cage um, I didn't catch out who else was in the cages. He was doing something to women. There was frantic women. Uh, they're women that he's pumping full of drugs. Mm. And uh, Braithwaite had alluded earlier. Yeah. <laughs> Air, Air quotes. quotes. Uh, drugs. We're not saying yeah. what drugs. Just uh, drugs. John Saxon actually does say opium at one point. Oh, um, oh okay. Um, and yeah, sense. he has them caged in like glass in glass booths. Yeah. Whereas the men are behind steel bars and whatnot. Basically, Braithwaite in the beginning of the movie alludes to the fact that they suspect that he's like doing human trafficking with the women. Mm-hmm. And it's been demonstrated both in this scene and earlier in the movie that he has like an army of like knife armed women. <laughs> like, yeah. like, <laughs> so I guess he's going to conquer the world with like ladies that throw knives and use drugs. Um, <clears throat> But yeah, the old men, um, Terror of Mechagodzilla kind of made me think of that, where they have the whole bunch of like fishermen locked in the alien's base in Terror of Mechagodzilla, mm-hmm. um, all of whom have their vocal cords cut out and stuff. It's pretty grisly. Um, but yeah, uh, long story short, we learn that he's making drugs. He has some sort of plan. I don't know what. Um, but we see Williams' dead body suspended over a pool of water, and he's pretty the makeup here is pretty grisly he's yeah. covered in blood from head to toe and it evokes some imagery that especially at the time was probably a little racy yeah yeah <laughs> it was a little racy because he's not, maybe a little bit he's hanging but he's not he's not hanging from a noose but he's still a, a, an african-american gentleman hanging hanging not, yes yeah um yeah. and they, they cut the chain he falls into the water and roper of course sees this and it's like I, are you trying to convince me yeah. to join you? Because <laughs> that doesn't were, work. <laughs> were there mutated sea bass in that pool? Why? What, what was what was in the pool? He's like, that is gonna stink. <laughs> that <laughs> like, might be the funniest line from Austin Powers. He's like, I wanted sharks with laser beams attached to their heads. What do we have? Sea bass. Sea bass. Sea bass. <laughs> they are mutated sea bass. <laughs> They're ill-tempered. <laughs> ill-tempered, not to start. <laughs> Just this deadpan. Sea bass. Sea bass. <laughs> right. Um, yeah, he drops him in the pool. Um, and I don't think he... He doesn't commit to anything. Like, he doesn't want to join the operation. No, of course yeah. not. Why he the just, fuck would you? I think he just kind of gives him like a, like a, like a look and then just walks out. It's not even that. You just give him the look. And, like, <laughs> and then we cut to Bruce. <laughs> yeah. Sneaky. Yeah. He's um, doing sneaky Lee with a sneaky snake. I called this sequence. <laughs> yeah. He, Bruce does exactly the same thing he did earlier. So he's wearing the same outfit. Uh, he makes another run at that air vent. Oh, um, I mean, the, before he can get there, he has an encounter with a cobra. Yes. Uh, this with, is basically setting up the end of the film, more or less. Like this Very sequence, so. yeah, just this, yeah, this is like the the wrapping up of the film. But it's a long sequence, and it's this. I've actually seen this end sequence before. Oh, really? Yeah, I caught it like it was on like Stars or Showtime or something. I just caught like the back end of like, 
I was waiting for the next movie to come on, and I'm like, all right, I'm just going to watch the end of this, because there's like, what, I mean, tw- it, 20 it's minutes It's colorful, left. there's action, why the fuck so, yeah. not? <laughs> I've, def- I've definitely seen this sequence before. Um, but yeah, uh, Bruce gets past the Cobra by putting it in, in a bag he has, and then he proceeds to infiltrate the place and see all the things that we just saw like a minute ago, so yeah. this is redundant. Um, and then we get this cool sequence where there's a security booth that he's trying to get by, um, because he wants to get to the radio, I think. Um, because Braithwaite told him, like, hey, call me, and then I'll call the people who actually do something about it. Yeah. <laughs> so he's the middleman. Um, but in order to get to the radio, he needs to get these people out of the booth. So what he does is he takes that cobra out of his bag, and then he holds this live snake up in front of himself, and he slaps it? Yeah. I was like, that's so fucking badass. <laughs> like, he just casually, like, his face is completely stoned, and he just casually slaps it on the back of the head. And then he throws it into the office, and we get this funny moment where he's sitting below the windowsill, so they can't see him. And the two guards in there, they see the snake, and they throw a chair through the window, yeah. <laughs> and they hop out. But there's this cool shot where we cut back to Bruce Lee, and he's just he's got just like bored. His, yeah, yeah, he's, he's just, just bored with his hand, just waiting, cl- for it to like happen. his his chin supported in his palm, and he's just like, just waiting for these fools to get out of here. And then uh. He hops in there and effortlessly does like dials out and does Morse code. A klaxon goes off, and he's also subduing the cobra with his foot all at the same mm-hmm. time. Yeah, <laughs> it's like, good. man, this movie. It's almost like this movie is a Bruce Lee vehicle. Yeah. <laughs> um, but then uh, Bruce Lee has to disrobe because he's mm-hmm. Bruce Lee. And he starts beating ass. Yeah, he's fighting some dudes. And this is where I'm like, I know Jackie Chan is in this movie. I'm waiting to see Jackie Chan. And this is Did when you, see you... Him? yeah, you get to see him. Uh, yeah, he, yeah, Bruce Lee. This is where all the squealing. Uh, I didn't understand until I saw this movie where that came from. I'd seen like Kung Pao Enter the Fist. Uh, just it, he's been made fun of like for years just because the Aww! like all the mm-hmm. all the squeaking and squealing. And this is where it's happening. I'm like, oh, this is great. This is a lot of fun. Um, squeaking and squealing. It's beating ass. And um, Jackie Chan comes on screen. He looks like he's 30 years old in this movie. He does. <laughs> it's insane. He looks younger as he gets older. But when he shows up, I'm like, man, he looks like he does in like, Rush Hour. <laughs> yeah, he looks about 30. And he looks like he has like the faintest bit of a mustache, too. Does he? Oh. It, it could just be dirt on his face, but it looks like he has a mustache. And uh, the the legend goes, supposedly Bruce Lee hurt him on set mm-hmm. and like told him, like, I'll make it up to you. And, you know, of course, he passed away, but it's like passing of the torch, I guess. He did. Um, I would say that if of anybody, that that's the most passing of the torch was to Jackie Chan. Because as far as making movies goes, he's done it. Oh, yeah. No, it, for sure. I. Uh, and and also in the timeline just like who who's next it's like well jackie um because he hit it big in the late 70s and and onward um still working to this day (laughs) um um, but yeah jackie shows up uh he gets he just has a beat where he gets roughed up a bit i think he gets punched in the gut and then uh, he gets his neck broken off screen he gets his hair pulled yeah he gets his hair pulled pretty savagely and then um we zoom in on bruce lee's face when it comes to the neck break though um and yeah, that's that's the entirety of his involvement in this film, as far as I understand. Um, but yeah, uh, Bruce Lee goes through like thirty something guys in this sequence, and like you said, the rhythm of it is basically he stands in the center of the frame, 
a bunch of people run at him one at a time and he knocks them down with like one or two hits each mm-hmm. um and this whole sequence like i said this is a bruce lee vehicle this was supposed to be his coming out party in this country and um it's it plays out like an exhibition of his skills where we get to see first he's doing everything hand to hand we get to see some striking we get to see some grappling we get to see some neck breaks we get to see some stomps and then we progress to weapons where he gets a staff at one point mm-hmm. and then of course it, of course it has to culminate with the one that resulted in countless injuries for young mm-hmm. men around the world <laughs> nunchucks <laughs> i'm gonna be honest with you the dude who in mortal Kombat, you know who exactly what i'm talking about the crazy-eyed dude at the end who's got the uh the axe or whatever his axe skills are off the charts, like like flipping around. I'm like I think he's got Bruce Lee beat with nunchucks. Like, <laughs> but I no, mean, he's, are these real nunchucks too? They used it using. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. pretty bitching. No, it takes tons of practice, and I mean the the legend always goes like you know Bruce Lee was amazing, blah blah blah. It's like no, there there are people who do who do this particular technique yeah. better than him. It's just again his dynamism as a on screen presence is not to be denied like the man has charisma up the yeah. ass like he's got um, charisma yeah yeah and the like watching him you know twirl his nunchucks in 1973 must have been like mind blowing um and yeah there's this funny beat where this he steals the nunchucks from a guy who, and it, i love the way this choreography works because he has a couple of collie sticks which are essentially like three foot long just rods and he's holding them out to this guy and the guy comes at him with nunchucks and Bruce doesn't move. He just stands perfectly still, and the guy hits the collie stick, and the nunchuck wraps around it. And so, essentially, he steals it from him by doing exactly nothing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then he whacks the guy with the other stick, and he takes the nunchuck. And we get a moment that was uh, definitely parodied in Ninja Turtles, in uh, the 1990 Ninja Turtles, where Michelangelo has the standoff with the, the Foot Clan guy, and they do a nunchuck off. Mm-hmm. Or the... <laughs> Keep practicing. <laughs> I'm, th- I'm thinking of uh, Beverly Hills Ninja, where everybody goes out for their like ninja night walk, and he has to stay behind, and he's just playing with all the stuff. Yeah, and uh, he ends up hitting himself in the head. <laughs> As only Chris Farley really, could do. I think he really did it because his reaction. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, <laughs> Son of a. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I always think of that. Are you communicating with me? Um, yeah, uh, he moves on. He's working through these jabronis, and uh, he ends up trying to escape, but he gets trapped. Yeah. Um, he tries Again, to go very James Bond like. Yeah, that's where I'm like, oh, okay, James Bond. Um, yeah, he gets trapped, and then uh, Han just is like looking overhead from a little, like he has a little balcony. <laughs> yeah, he has a he has a Commodus balcony. <laughs> yeah. And uh, we cut. He's like, "Oh, something, something." Um, you're basically caught. Like he, like even uh, Lee, kind of like sits in like a, a meditative pose because he knows he's, you know, it's yeah, over. He can't go there. nowhere. He's got yeah. steel doors around him. You can't. And, you can't melt steel doors. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, you can't. You can't. Off. Jet fuel can't melt steel doors. <laughs> <laughs> um, Braithwaite is in bed getting like his breakfast in bed, and he's like, "Oh." Oh, I got this now. We got to go, go do this now. Like I need this information. Uh, I gotta go send the people because I'm the I'm Q basically. Um, yeah, he's he's M or he's Q. He's something yeah, in between. Or less. He's like a 
less reliable M or Q. <laughs> yeah, I'm giving no him, gadgets. He's a he's a less bitchy M. I guess that's the best there way to put it. Um, but yeah, uh, we get we finally get to the finale of the movie. We're uh, we're back in the courtyard, and uh, Bruce is out there with with Roper. So it's John Saxon, Bruce Lee, and uh, we're surrounded by all the like the island dwellers, all the guards and whatnot. And uh, Han is speechifying here, and he tells <laughs> Roper, "Hey, so I have an idea. I'm gonna." punish bruce and test your loyalty by having you fight bruce how about that (laughs) robert's just like nah man i ain't gonna do that yeah not feeling Um, it uh so instead uh han's like well fuck you then how about bolo (laughs) (laughs) so he's six beef how about a beef cake and yeah you're gonna fight (laughs) bolo so he's six Goro, I mean Bolo. On yeah. Him. <laughs> so Johnny Cage and Johnny Cage and Goro. Yeah. <laughs> if only we had those two guys <laughs> in the crowd. <laughs> Goro, yeah, yeah, Goro, yeah. Goro, yeah. <laughs> if only yeah. we had them. If only we had their energy. The Maroni oh. twins, yeah. <laughs> Seriously, they they have some form of Mediterranean. <laughs> they did well um, in the two thousands. Oh, for fucking sure. Um. So yeah, uh, it is Roper versus Bolo, and uh, we get a trademark of Bruce Lee choreography where uh, the fight opens with uh, somebody striking towards the camera and the camera like pulling back away from them. Hmm. And uh, both in Return of the Dragon and in this movie, you see this shot. Uh, so John Saxon does a series of sidekicks towards the camera, and he lands like three shots on Bolo. And then just gets backhanded and collapses. <laughs> like it's like, yeah, you hit him three, three to one, but that one counted for more. <laughs> um, some, and then uh, I was gonna say, at some point, Lee, he gives like a, a signal to uh, Homegirl, whoever she was. She's barely, oh. she's not even a character in this movie, honestly. It, this uh, is a very male centric movie. <laughs> yeah, uh, he gives her like a flip the switch. Like he like gives her like a clear as day go now and <laughs> she just gives him a thumbs up and just takes off running uh she's gonna go i guess let the prisoner let's out the prisoners yes yeah yes so we, we're doing a lot of cross-cutting during yeah. this fight where uh mei ling runs off and uh, we cut back to the fight and then we cut back to mei ling and she goes to free those prisoners those sad drunk old men i guess which yeah. i couldn't help but think of the dark knight rises where it's like so a bunch of cops who have been trapped underground pooping three feet from where they sleep for how many months are going to fight a well-trained military force? <laughs> uh, no. Mercenaries. Yeah. Mercenaries. <laughs> yeah. No, no, they're going to, they're going to be stiff. They're, you know, that big charge they do. No, <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll say it. It's going to be a ginger walk. <laughs> the Nolan Batman movies are not without flaws. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> I, I the first one is great. Heath Ledger's performance really carries that second movie a lot. But that third one, I think I've turned on it, honestly. I still like it, but I think logistically it's the most problematic <laughs> by far. Huh? Like you really have to come back to it and you're like, wait a minute, what? That doesn't no, make any fucking no, sense. No, I, I agree with you on that point, but I still enjoy it. And that's largely what counts. Um, but yeah... Uh, Bolo puts Roper in an armbar on the ground, uh, which he counters with a bite. And mm-hmm. Bolo I, I, takes his 
<laughs> what? If I've learned anything from like more, like mixed martial arts and sports, you're not supposed to bite people. It's frowned upon. <laughs> well, I think this is also an element of Bruce Lee's influence on the film. Is that you notice a lot of things like nut punches and biting. It's kind of like a anything goes type scenario, um, which, like you said, is typically frowned upon in most martial arts lines of thinking. Unless you're Vander Holyfield and you're headbutting Mike Tyson and Mills Lane, you should have been calling that fucking shit. You're not wrong. Uh, I mean, there were jokes not just from Mike Tyson, but from other fighters that he was in the ring with. It's like that man needed a third glove <laughs> because he used his head a lot. Excellent fighter, but yeah, little, just a little dirty, just a little dirty. <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, Bolo starts getting jabbed to death once they're back on their feet, and uh, eventually he does finally go down in the form of several low kicks, and then, of course, John Saxon's trademark move in this movie, a kick to the nuts. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I think there were, I think Bruce was like, okay, he can't lift his leg past his waist, so. We were just going to have him kick him in the balls. <laughs> John Saxon, not not a physical specimen. No. <laughs> no, 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 no. From the neck up, yes. The man is old. Oh, he is a handsome man. Look at him young. He I actually have a friend of mine. Um, he and his brother look they look so much like... I had to send it to my mom because it's like friends of the family. I'm like, he looks just like them. She's like, it's crazy. Like, um, But they have less hair than him. Well, actually, no, they have about as much hair as he does. <laughs> By the way, his wig in this, did you notice yeah. it? <laughs> you, you beat me to it. I was it's just going to say. two different um, colors. On, a, again, that Nightmare on Elm Street documentary about the whole series, he was in three of those movies. Um, he, <laughs> I guess he had a he had a meeting with, like, Wes Craven, um, and he, he brought to the set, like, a box of wigs, and he's oh. like, so which one do you think I should use? The one that, with, with some salt and pepper or the one that makes me look youthful? A box of wigs. That is awesome. He had a box of wigs. That is pretty cool. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so anyway, uh, Bolo is dispatched, and then uh, we get the beginning of the climax where Han starts sicking his boys on Bruce and Roper, mm-hmm. and he does it one at a time. He has to call out each of their names individually. Yeah. Which I I guess is a display of power because it shows restraint on the part of all of his, his, you know, his appendages where they they don't do anything until they've been called upon. Mm -hmm. But the point is, like, he has to call out each and every name and do a hand gesture before they do anything. And in the time it takes him to do that, each and every one of these guys gets dispatched. Um, so yeah, uh, this whole scene is just Bruce and John Saxon beating ass one at a time, and then and then <laughs> like so they're surrounded. They they're fighting the white geese, and then black geese just storm. These storm would be in. the prisoners. Ah, okay. Yeah, the prisoners are all in black garb, and uh, partway into this into this fight, which by the way, right before the prisoners arrive, we get this really cool scene where Bruce does like alternating back kicks. He does like nine or ten of them in a row, and people just keep running into his feet. <laughs> it's yeah. pretty great to watch. Um, actually, it's funny. It's, it's worth pointing out that Bruce Lee was actually um, mocked early in his career in Hong Kong before he was a sensation um, because of his, his physical abilities or lack thereof. Mm. Um, they called him like two, I think it was like three kick Lee or something, where it's like, oh, he can only do like three kicks per take. Like, <laughs> it's like he's not even that good. And, <laughs> 
his counter to that was that from like a philosophical standpoint, he his belief was that I shouldn't need to do more than three kicks mm. because each of my kicks are meant to put people down. Um, so he wasn't so much about the spectacle of things as he was about like the psychology aspect of it. Again, Bruce Lee would have made a good wrestler. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> Ring psychology. Um, but yeah, that's just a difference between his philosophy and that of the Hong Kong style of martial arts on film anyway. Um, but yeah, the prisoners arrive and they're all dressed in black. So we have black versus white, basically. It's just this turns into a war sequence. This turns into The Dark Knight Rises. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this is a war sequence where everyone's punching each other. Um, amidst all the chaos, Han uh, takes off one of his gloved hands and puts on like a bear claw hand. Yeah. Um, and he rakes a dude's face with it. And just like The Dark Knight Rises, we get uh, the, the sea of people parts. And we get to see Bruce find Han in the crowd. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's great. This is this is great stuff. I love this shit. <laughs> I can't get enough of it. Um, Bruce, do you think like that in that fight sequence, like at the end where he's fighting Bane, do you think anybody was like, "That's fucking Batman"? Like, like, like fighting each other. <laughs> <laughs> fucking Batman. I mean, I'm sure somebody would do that. Like, is that, is that fucking Batman? Batman? Fuck <laughs> oh. Like, just get hit right in the nose. <laughs> like, you. <want> <laughs> <laughs> it's like I just want an autograph for my kid. <laughs> um, but speaking of which, uh, speaking of random shots from the crowd, uh, Bruce is like pushing Han back, but then he gets interrupted by some just random dude that slugs him in the face. <laughs> like yeah. it's a solid fucking shot. <laughs> just some random guy catches him off guard. Um, and then we cut to the actual climax of the film, and this is the. Uh, the, it starts out in the museum, um, but the next location is the most iconic one. So in the museum, we we resume fighting. Bruce has his line, You have offended my family, and you have offended the Shaolin Temple. Mm-hmm. And then he starts beating that ass. Um, Han switches hands because he lost the bear claw outside. Um, it got stuck in something. <laughs> Poor guy. <laughs> but he switches to the iconic um, blade hand, which has like knives for fingers, essentially. Um, and we have this nice back and forth where both people are scoring blows. Um, Bruce starts to get the uh, makeup applied to him that's so iconic, the, the slashes across his cheek and his, his stomach and back. Um, and he, he tastes his blood at one point because that's just a badass thing to do. I hate that. It's one of my least favorite things in movies. It, it happens a lot in movies, and I fucking hate it. I think it largely came from this one. Did um, it? Because I've seen it a lot, a lot. It's a, it's a common thing. It's a trope. Um, you made me bleed my own blood. <laughs> now I have to get serious. Um, but we go back and forth doing slow motion leaping kicks. Han eats one to the fucking face. <laughs> it's pretty great. Um, and then we get this hilarious shot where uh, Bruce Lee kicks a dummy. Let's, let's yes. call it what yes, it is. Yes, yes, he does. <laughs> so he he powers up and he kicks a dummy's head and it goes flying out of the frame <laughs> like it just goes woo <laughs> it's so funny to look at um and then we get a, a pointless headlock kick that this this was just pure yeah, whimsy I saw that. It, it's like what was that like i don't know why you would do that that just it doesn't even look good it's just like you're okay you're showing off that you're flexible cool um Long story short, uh, Han gets extra desperate, kind of similar to Ohara. And by the way, he is fucked up. Like, his face is just all bruised and bloodied. Um, And he grabs a spear from a statue nearby, and he starts swinging it. 
and uh, he tosses it into the wall and he misses interesting thing uh, i was mm. curious um so this this claw hand uh it reminds you a little bit of wolverine like it, it seems like it could have been it could have like maybe influenced wolverine uh guess when wolverine first made an appearance 1975 1974 wow yep i mean you're probably right I mean, that was an era of comics where it's like people were still just being hired to come up with shit because we needed to have shit constantly. Mm -hmm. So there wasn't a whole lot of thought behind it. So I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, I know that the guy who created Wolverine got the shaft really bad. Like he does not get residuals as far as I understand, because Marvel owns like owned the character like they bought it from him. There's so three... I wouldn't be surprised if he saw the movie the, in the theater. The, and just there's, like, there's three names for created by. So, I know at least one of them got screwed because <laughs> mm. <laughs> um, that was how things worked and still do for the most part as far as I know comics are a ruthless industry <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah the spear goes through the wall and then uh, Han escapes through said wall and we see that the other side of the wall is a mirror and so it's a rotating panel in the wall and uh, Bruce follows him back there, and we get one of the single most iconic sequences in action film history. It's very creative, um, but I feel like it just, maybe at the time it was a bit more interesting. Like, it didn't need to be more than what it was. But now, looking back, I'm like, it was a really good idea, and you could have gone with it a little bit further. But it, it went by pretty quick, this, the mirror sequence. I, I like that they give it time to breathe, because... In terms of screen time, it it's brief, um, but the flow of the edits and whatnot, it's very measured. Like it's mm -hmm. more suspenseful. This isn't an action sequence. This is a suspenseful sequence because um, we're not having a whole lot of physical exchanges here. This is mostly just Bruce Lee walking um, in a like a hall of mirrors and trying to find Han, who occasionally comes out from wherever the fuck and takes a swipe at him. And Bruce has taken some shots here. It's like maybe the only time he's allowed to look somewhat vulnerable in this movie. Mm -hmm. um, but it needs to be said, this this sequence has inspired countless others in action film history. Like John, John Wick, Wick two, 3. Two, 2 and 3, both of them, have, have mirror sequences. Um, uh, one of Sonny Chiba's uh, movies from only a couple years after this has an identical sequence. Even fucking Conan the Destroyer has a similar sequence. I forgot about Conan the Destroyer. <laughs> No, it's it's a thing, and the imagery that comes out of the sequence is, is tremendous. Like, there's that really amazing slow-motion shot of him doing a sidekick on Han, mm -hmm. and you see, like, repeating image of both of their... It's both of their reflections, but there's, like, eight of them in a row, side by side by side, and it, it looks amazing. Like, it's terrific. Um, but Bruce is confounded. He's having... He's struggling a little bit. A little bit, because it's Bruce Lee. <laughs> he doesn't struggle a lot, only a little bit. Um, and then we get a reprise of uh, his master's words to him before he left to pursue Han, and that is, destroy the image and you will break the enemy. Um, so Bruce decides to take that very literally and start smashing all the mirrors. <laughs> um, I, in a different movie, the, the master's voice would come back and be like, I didn't mean that literally. <laughs> it's like, God... <laughs> Think of the glass. It's dangerous. <laughs> Don't breathe in. <laughs> um, and then uh, Bruce finally finds Han amidst all the reflections. 
Um, and then the last hit of the fight is a sidekick, flings him across the room, and he gets impaled on the spear that was embedded in the wall earlier. Mm-hmm. And we get this really savage, very cool moment where Bruce just pauses for a moment, looks at his body, just like suspended above the floor, like hanging from, like impaled on the wall. And then he just takes a breath and walks past him and pushes through the rotating wall. And then we zoom in on Han's body spinning on the, <laughs> on the wall. Yeah. And we, it, it's glorious. <laughs> and then uh, we cut back to the courtyard and there's this poor guy in white getting bullied by all the guys in black. <laughs> like they're doing the monkey in the middle thing where they're yeah. just kind of like shoving him back and forth amongst themselves. And it's like, yeah, that's cruel. <laughs> um, and we see Roper is kind of bummed because the madam was apparently killed in the chaos. We didn't actually see that and it was off screen. Um, Bruce Lee emerges from wherever the fuck, the palace, I guess. And uh, he exchanges thumbs up with Roper um, and the choppers arrive. We get the theme music again. And the very last shot is a tilt down for Bruce Lee's face to the bear claw that was stuck in something earlier in the fight. Mm-hmm. And then credits, which last like 20 seconds. Cause it's that kind of movie. Yeah. <laughs> and, and that's the movie. Yeah. Um, how did you feel about your first Bruce Lee movie, Kyle? It wasn't bad. Um, less tedious than uh, some of the other martial arts films you've had me watch, honestly. Um, this one was, uh, was a bit more fun. Uh, kept my attention a little bit more. And it had... It, it's dated, too, which makes it kind of interesting to watch. But yeah, I can see why he was such a big deal. Or why he... Um, why his movies had such an impact because at the time I can see like, yeah, this would be a lot of fun, especially for kids. This would have been a lot of fun to watch. Um, I don't don't know how many kids were allowed to see this movie, but what do you, yeah, come on. It's for, don't you think it's for kids? I think it's for kids. There's nipples and drug use (laughs) and, and hangings. (laughs) It was, was, the lines were blurry back then. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. You have a point there, but. Yeah, uh, this one was funny because, like I said, I, I picked it because of what it would mean for you more so than what it means to me. Because um, I like this movie. I think it's fun, but it's not even my favorite Bruce Lee movie, let alone one of my favorite martial arts movies. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's it's funny just seeing how far we've come just in terms of martial arts on film. Like like so much so much of the choreography in this film feels antiquated in some ways. Um, but it's it's buoyed by uh, just the charisma of Bruce Lee as a person, as an actor, more so mm-hmm. than a, like a martial arts talent. Just as a on-screen personality, I think he was very gifted, like with just some sort of something. Like he just has it. That's hard to explain, but um, yeah, I, th- I think it's a it's a fun cultural artifact. It's definitely a movie that most people that can stomach this kind of stuff should should see. Just, yeah. just for the historical significance of it. Um, but yeah, some of his other movies are slightly more conventional martial arts fare that I think I would enjoy. Well, obviously, I would enjoy a lot more than you. Yes. <laughs> um, but this was one that I thought you could benefit from seeing. So I, hopefully you got something out of it. Yeah, it was fun. Um, that being said, uh, that concludes uh, Moving On March. Mm-hmm. Um, and Kyle, you you had an idea for, for our theme for next month. And did you want to get into that or do you want to save it for when we actually get to it? Yeah, we'll just save it for when we get to it. Okay. Well, that being said, uh, thank you so much for listening and uh, we'll catch you next time. Yeah.